the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, August 25th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 268. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. We'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Happy Friday, everybody. We've got a big edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests lined up. Constitutional attorney Jesse Benall is going to be here. We'll stick in the same thread and sit down with Ron Coleman as well. Congressman from New York 3, George Santos, will be here. The New York Young Republican Club's Ben Geller will be joining us. And Texas congressional candidate John O'Shea will be sitting down with us for the first time. Lots of news, lots of headlines. Trump was arraigned out in Fulton County yesterday. We'll bring you the latest. We'll do a little bit of coverage on the Trump-Tucker interview that aired on X earlier this week. And we'll unfortunately cover the best of the rest, meaning the first debate of the 2024 presidential season. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it over to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast, everybody. I'm Roe, Noah's here as well. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started on the show today, we're joined by constitutional attorney, heads of Banal Law Group. Always happy to sit down with Mr. Jesse Banal. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, as usual. Well, Jesse, got a couple questions for you heading into it. I think uh, the elephant in the room was Donald Trump in Fulton County Courthouse yesterday getting arraigned and processed. Obviously, the mugshot has broken the Internet. And uh, we have questions about, you know, the process. We know you're not specifically working on this case directly, but just from a legal standpoint, now that Donald Trump's been arraigned and, and we're looking to see when the court date potentially could get set up, where do we go from here? Well, uh, that's a great question. And, and uh, everything in Georgia state court is a little bit different from what we've been seeing in federal court and even in, in uh, a court in New York. Uh, specifically that the booking actually happened uh, in the jail, which was was pretty heavy handed. Um, yeah. There's there's really no doubt about it. It's you know, Fannie Willis is, has made this an integral part of her campaign. And she thinks this is going to make, a, you know, a great um, a great ad for her, you know, both reelection. And, and I think everybody knows that she has her sights on higher office and she thinks that's going to help her. Um, but uh, realistically, for where we're going from from here, uh, you know, n- now we get the opportunity to see if if uh, Donald Trump can get a, a fair trial um, and uh, a fair process in, in Georgia. Uh, the first thing that I expect to happen, and again, as you pointed out, I'm, I'm not on this team. There's some excellent, excellent lawyers on this team, but I'm, I'm not one of them. But uh, for what I, I think we expect to see is an effort to get this into federal court. And the reason for that is that when uh, you have federal officials that are acting in their federal capacity, the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution specifically provides them immunity. So it it really is up to the federal court to litigate that kind of uh, immunity. So 
I think we're going to see that issue be litigated there in the, uh, the Northern District of Atlanta. Um, and so that's going to be very interesting to see because what should happen is, is the case should be removed and then after it's removed, it should be dismissed because everything that was, that was done there um, was uh, perfectly uh, legitimate through, through the, the federal office holders and, and completely legal. And let's not forget that every single action that Fonnie Willis uh, put in her complaint was protected communications um, or, or protected activity under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, not just freedom of speech, but also the right to petition your government for redress of grievances, which is an integral part of the First Amendment. I think we should see the case dismissed just on those grounds alone. But there's many other defenses beyond that as well. Um, this is a, a case that is about politics. It's really not about the law. And so uh, it's going to be, I think, some fast-paced uh, litigation that you're going to see here in the coming weeks and months. Well, I've got two follow-ups directly to that, Jesse. Hopefully you can help us out with that. When you're talking about moving that to federal court and, and out of Fulton County, is that fallen to the uh, same lines as what Mark Meadows' legal representation asked for this week and, and having to do with, with with the situation surrounding you know his involvement in this case and the proximity of, uh, you know, well, being protected as, as the chief of staff to the president of the United States? Yeah, you got it. It's going to, to be under the, the same legal principles. Now, Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark also asked that the state action be stayed, stayed while the federal court considers it. That was an aggressive strategy. It was an aggressive legal argument. And uh, the, the court put into effect a, a kind of lightning round of briefing and then promptly denied that request. I don't think that really a indicator of what's to come, but that, that is uh, the, the same overall legal strategy of what we're going to see. One of the other things I saw, uh, it might have been yesterday, maybe the day before, is that the people working on this case put the Fulton County uh, courthouse on notice in regards to one of the other defendants requesting a speedy trial. I don't have his name off the top of my head, but can you tell me a little yeah. bit about what, what's going on with that and what does it mean for some of the parameters of this case? Yeah, so the, the other defendant is, is Ken Chesborough that made that request. And a lot of times, and I've done this before, you see that when a prosecution is rushing to get something to indictment, they may very well not really be ready for trial. It's a perfectly legitimately, uh, legitimate strategy to, uh, to require speedy trial. You have statutory rights in most states to speedy trial, and then you have an overall constitutional right to a speedy trial. From what I can tell in Georgia, and I'm not a Georgia lawyer, it's not quite as easy to what we call toll speedy trial. And um, by tolling, it's basically saying uh, to to postpone a, a speedy trial in Georgia state court as it might be federally. And that's under the, the Georgia law. So what they've effectively done, it appears right now, is um, got a severance from the defendants that want a more fully litigated case, which in a case like this, which is uh, going to be heavily document dependent, it's going to probably involve millions of pages of, of discovery. I think that's, uh, that's a, a very strong argument that having some time to go through the documents is is the correct way to, to go about this. But there's also probably some some value for Mr. Chesbrough to be tried with a smaller group or just uh, by himself, perhaps. So it's not a bad strategy, and we'll see how it all plays out. 
That's great that you were able to answer that for us. I know some people that, you know, listen to the podcast have been asking some some questions. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Jesse, yep. we won't keep you too long, and we're getting the show kicked off right now. I saw former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker on Sean Hannity last night, and one of the biggest things that a lot of people, you know, in conservative politics have been raising some red flags over was the proximity of the start dates to these trials, not just the Georgia one, but the other three as well, and how they're trying to affix them to dates that are integral yeah. to the primary process yeah. season. One's a day before the Iowa caucuses, one's four days before Super Tuesday, etc. Now, from a yeah. legal standpoint, and as someone that has probably had to deal with stuff similar to this, obviously this is unprecedented. How does President Trump and his legal team fight being able to be drug into court when he's supposed to be campaigning in legitimate states that are having huge elections? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. Um, and it's really the, one of the most infuriating things that we're seeing right now is, you know, anyone who denies that this case is all about politics. Oh, it's just a complete coincidence that they that they want these cases heard, you know, right in the middle, or, you know, right the, before Iowa, right before Super Tuesday um, and, and other big primary dates as, as well that they've just been set for. Um, the process is the punishment. And there's no real checks and balances. You know, any prosecutor can walk in and get an indictment for a grand jury. And this is a game that only Democrats play. Republican prosecutors, for right or wrong, and I'm kind of angry that they seem, they've they seemed to unilaterally disarm. Republican prosecutors don't play this game. Only Democrats do. Right. And they get judges to go along with it. So, you know, we've got in, in New York, we've got a judge that's a donor to Joe Biden. And he thinks he's a fair judge. Mm. Uh, to, to hear this case. It's just, it's preposterous. It's, it's almost a joke if it wasn't so serious. And, and quite frankly, it's no different in D.C., where uh, the federal judge in D.C. Was a, uh, was a donor to the Obama-Biden campaign. And so it's, it's pretty much the, the same thing there. She's uh, said a number of things in court that, you know, make it very, very clear that she's made up her mind regarding uh, uh, President Trump's culpability. I just, I don't see how, and I'm, even in, in this hearing where she is, you know, gone and said that she doesn't care about his presidential campaign. Ah, oh, shucks, I guess your campaign's just going to have to take a back seat to this proceeding. You know, it's no secret. She wants to do everything possible to make sure that Donald Trump is not elected president again. And so um, it's, it's a very, very dangerous time because I'm not sure, I'm not sure that these people have really played this out in their minds about what happens if they're successful. What happens if they're able to use lawfare in order to change the outcome of the 2024 election and what America looks like if that happens? You know, it's kind of like Mike on Breaking Bad when he says, uh, whatever happens next, it's not going to go down the way you think it is. Yeah. Um, these people need to, to kind of understand that. It's an extremely dangerous, dangerous time for our republic because you know if we let these bureaucrats and these hard left extremist prosecutors and, and jurists if we let them dictate who's going to lead this country rather than the people of, of america deciding who's going to lead this country we don't have a country anymore. we don't have a republic anymore agreed it's it's dangerous times and uh, the one thing that i'll say is uh, the biggest piece of optimism I have is the one person that can handle the uh, the uh, all this pressure and not be uh, distracted by it is Donald J. Trump. And you just see him 
you know, you, you see the look of dedication on, on his face yesterday. I mean, <laughs> and, and the, the mug shot kind of tells it all. Sure. Uh, I think he is absolutely more dedicated than he ever has been uh, to winning this case because, you know, the future of our republic uh, depends on it, and he knows that. Oh, he does. And, and you know, whether it's uh, on the tarmac yesterday, jumping on with Greg Kelly or even with Tucker Carlson, he reiterates the fact yep. that, you know, He's in this for us, and it's us that fuel his drive, and, and and all we could do is keep fighting for him. I mean, that that's the thing you could say. I think you made a great point. The next bridge closed sign that we drive through, not only as a legal system but as a nation, it's probably not going to be one that we could come back from. And I think that 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 forecasting is is something that I think a lot of people in America yes. first take to hearts, and that's why we're glad to have warriors like you out there fighting for us, Jesse. We're going to live link the uh, law firm in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, at J Banal, that's at J B I N N A L L, and pretty much all social media. And uh, guys, as always, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. This is a constitutional attorney and America First warrior, Mr. Jesse Banal. Have a great weekend, and thanks for getting the show kicked off. Thanks, you guys too. Have a good one. To Georgia, and I'm feeling very, very good about it because I feel like I'm defending the rights of all Americans, as I did so many times as a United States attorney. People, people like to say I'm different. I'm the same Rudy Giuliani that took down the mafia, that made New York City the safest city in America, reduced crime more than any mayor in the history of any city, anywhere, and I'm fighting for justice. I have been from the first moment I represented Donald Trump, an innocent man, who has now been proven innocent several times. I don't know how many times he has to be proven innocent, and they have to be proven to be liars, actually enemies of our republic who are destroying rights, sacred rights. They're destroying my right to counsel, my right to be a lawyer. They're destroying his right to counsel. It's not accidental that they've indicted all his lawyers. Never heard of that before in America. All the lawyers indicted. Now, whether you dislike or you like Donald Trump, let me give you a warning. <laughs> They're going to come for you. When the political winds shift, as they always do, let us pray that Republicans are more honest, more trustworthy, and more American than these people in charge of this government. Because if our government is conducted this way, and the system of justice is politicized and criminalized for politics, your rights are in jeopardy and your children's. Donald Trump told you this. They weren't just coming for him or me. Now they've indicted people in this case. I don't even know who they are. These are just regular people making a normal living. They're going to bankrupt them. They won't convict them. Well, that was great catching up with uh, America First attorney Jesse Banal, and we're going to jump into the news portion of the show here. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Donald Trump, who was arraigned in, in Fulton County yesterday, and that was America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. No, I know you you had mentioned while the clip was playing here in the studio that you were surprised that CNN actually carried it in its entirety. Yeah, it's weird that they would allow. I mean, that was a pretty straightforward, legitimate, honest message from America's mayor. Now, when you say America's mayor, to see where we're at right now and, and what the legal system represents in this country today, he mentioned it at the start of his talking point. That's literally the guy that took down the Italian mafia. Yeah. And they're gonna and they're gonna try to roll people up in a RICO case. Like, this is the guy that took down the biggest criminal organization in the United States, besides the federal government. <laughs> I like where you're going with that. You know, and it's funny. 
I think even John Gotti would be rolling in his grave at this. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, you just can't take away from Rudy Giuliani is an American hero. I mean, in the wake of nine eleven and all the other stuff he did in regards to crime outside of what he did to combat uh, the Italian mafia's presence in the five boroughs when he was, you know, running shop up there. This is really a sad place for our country. And when you talk about it in the context of the ability to have counsel and clients and that they're just completely erasing it, saying like, you know, like Fannie Willis said when she read the unsealed indictment saying that like, the way all of these charges go, none of the accused have done anything wrong. But when you put it together, uh, we're going to be able to convict him on RICO charges, which is why that's the first one. Does anybody else think that sounds completely asinine? Well, I'm not saying she's a vote rigger, but <laughs> we'll hear that absolute banger to close out the show today. So, and it's also even more basically insulting to Giuliani because all the good he did for that city has now been completely undone. Any potential benefit of smashing organized crime down with the level of just normal crime now, it's like, what's what's the difference at this point? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sad to see not only the way that America's mayor and all the other defendants have been charged, but, uh, you know, it's funny, too, as you've seen the week kind of go and the mug shots get released, there was a few, I mean, Jenna Ellis smiled. There was a lot of people who, uh, you know, went in and got their mug shots done. But then, you know, just to see these things come out and, and people associate mug shots with criminals and, and, you know, people that are either on the lam or ones that have been put in prison. And I just think that, you know, watching this all unfold in real time, I mean, you saw... I think I think the Trump team knows how how much of a catalyst this is going to be. Just people seeing that, like I don't think they're really going to like complain about it at this point. The like, amount- it's already like how many companies have you seen with his fucking name on a T-shirt already with his mugshot? Yeah, the momentum has definitely swung major league over the last just twelve hours. I saw one that was brilliant, and it was like some fucking obvious blue-haired lefty or whatever wearing the Trump. Uh, mugshot shirt and the person the other person in the meme was going i like your maga shirt that's basically it i like it you know i you know i I shared a meme this morning it was that iconic picture of john daly wearing like the zubaz pants and the oversized t-shirt who's standing on the putting green with tiger woods and it said like you know tiger woods had the caption of like some lefty wearing a donald trump mugshot shirt and john daly obviously maga wearing a donald trump mugshot shirt and Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it, it. It was just a big day, and and then again, talking about those mugshots. You know, everybody's was different. I mean, obviously, we saw President Trump's broke the internet yesterday. We'll talk about that in a second. But even like, I think they brought his own lighting in. That was some good lighting. The, the lighting was a lot better than those for. Let's just say uh, this guy right here. Oof, that's uh, <laughs> the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, David Schaefer, who had his mugshot taken on Wednesday. He immediately left the Fulton County Courthouse, logged into his Twitter account, and made his mugshot his profile picture. It's a little washed out. So it's uh, still funny the way we're seeing everybody take it and what it means for the process moving forward. When Donald Trump got on the ground in in Fulton County yesterday, uh, his motorcade flew through some very urban portions of Georgia on the way to the Fulton County Courthouse. And what was now becoming more surprising but normal to see was the amount of people who 
reside in those areas come out organically in front of their houses and support the 45th president as his motorcade through, blew through their neighborhoods. Uh, a new poll came out from Fox News Today. So when Donald Trump announced back in November of last year, the polls for black male voters was a 91 to 8% swing for Joe Biden. Uh, a poll that was conducted this week by Fox News using the same cross tabs now has it at 6120 Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So a major upswing for Donald Trump. And, that, you know, I think some of that's attributed to the lawfare, but an overwhelming majority of it is probably attributed to crime in the economy as well. Of course, MSNBC was fawning over Donald Trump's latest arraignment in court yesterday and uh, a panel which included some of their all-stars, like Randy Maddow, uh, was just absolutely gushing watching the president head to the courthouse. Let's hear him. They put him on a scale. It's, it's not like going to the veterinarian. They do not actually make you stand on the scale. Um, but he's listed as a white male. Okay. His hair color is listed as blonde or strawberry. I like it. <laughs> is that a nice way to say orange? Mm. I, blonde or strawberry. His eye color is listed as blue. His height is listed as six foot three. Yep. And his weight is listed... 175. <laughs> 215. 6'3", people pointed out as the exact dimensions of Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. I don't know if the control room has a, has a Lamar Jackson. I mean, the, the, the resemblance is uncanny. Is. If that's what you're trying to right. say, it's I think. Pod. It's in a pod. I feel like an hour and 20 minutes ago, I said the whole thing is a sham. <laughs> Up to the weight, and I believe 24 hours ago, up to the when height. I, when I was when we were together, I said I bet he's not at the debate because he's fasting. Now, <laughs> yes. even if he fasted, there's no way. And, and Mark Meadows had to also self-report his height and weight. He he clocked in at 240. Honestly. There's no way Trump is 25 pounds lighter <laughs> than Meadows. He's like doubting Olympic. <laughs> Absolutely. You do something that Don't doesn't become a start. segment. It's ridiculous. Well, they're right about the whole thing being a sham. Entered the hair color. Is that Donald Trump? <laughs> or is that a legal me. description a of the hair color? I've never seen in a government document, like you know, like buying a fishing license or something. You have to like there's like drop down menus yes. of like things to choose yes. between. Strawberry. I've strawberry. never seen strawberry is no. an option. Strawberry blonde is a normal color that's been referenced. Sure is. Everywhere. And although I wouldn't necessarily have it top of mind when describing Donald Trump. Yeah, no. Now, when you think about it, it, he surely could pass for that. Yeah, I guess. And obviously he lied about his weight or his weight was misrepresented by somebody on the form. Um, But here's the deal. I thought you got weighed when you go in. No, uh, your bio. I mean, in cases like this, I think they sent like an online questionnaire that drop downs. No. So uh, that's what it looked like when they were showing the actual document on the Fulton County site. We are in absolute unprecedented times when it comes to the way the legal system has been weaponized against Donald Trump and now all of these other co-defendants. And these retards over there on MSNBC think it's completely okay to have a panel like that on live television with all of their tens of viewers. But, I mean, no, when when you start off with something as somber as Rudy Giuliani telling it how it is, and then no, like, in a heartbeat, you can go up a channel or two on your cable news, and that's what's going on. Well, water seeks its own level. Those cackling retards have to have to play to their fucking viewership. And when your viewership is a bunch of retards that are clasping their hands together with glee about this, not understanding the ramifications of the legal bullshit that's happening in this country and what it means for future generations in law and 
and just our government systems, elections, the whole deal. Like, as, as if all this stuff gets swept under the rug, if Donald Trump is somehow managed to be kicked out of his ability to run for president, which I don't think is going to happen, obviously, but who knows at this point? Like, if you would, you know, shoot me back a couple years and tell me all the shit that's going to happen this year, I would have said you're out of your goddamn mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought, at least in some of these instances, like some of the civil cases like that, uh, Jean E. Carroll, the vagina cat lady up in New York. Vagina. I, I thought that was probably going to be the court because that's like a get got them. It's like the nth degree of the Access Hollywood tapes back from 2015. But when you talk about some of this other stuff, Rico charges and, and the documents case and, you know, it's this is like you can't just walk it back like the D.A., of course, could come out and drop all the charges. And, and it and just sounds so ridiculous. Rico? Really? For Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman, Sidney Powell, and Donald Trump Sidney and friends. Sidney Powell. I still miss Nick sometimes. Yeah. Donald Trump delivered a brief statement before he got back onto Trump Force One after being processed down in Fulton County from the tarmac. Let's hear it. Thank you very much for being here. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows that I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you uh, very soon. Thank you. Very so there was that. And like I said, there's, there's no reason to think anything other than Donald Trump's going to stick to his guns. We all saw Attorney John Eastman going back to his car this week after being processed in Fulton County, and, you know, MSNBC was mobbing him around the security detail that he had and shoved a microphone in his face and... They wanted to try and play got him and said, like, hey, now that, uh, you know, you've been arraigned in court and are looking at some serious jail time, do you still think the election is rigged and stolen, John? <laughs> mm -hmm. You want to know what he said? Absolutely. He said absolutely? No, but he said, yes, I do. Oh. And, you know. Well, that's it's, the same. That's what he meant. I heard it in there. I like it. And this is where we're at. Like, people are celebrating the downfall of our society like the way that the bougie and elitists do not thinking that this is ever going to affect them. But the sad thing is this affects everybody. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it sets new ground rules that, especially for those people in the media, they're the ones that were major contributors to Donald Trump's first term in office being essentially ruined, uh, from outside looking in policy wise and, and agenda driven. He was able to get a ton of stuff done and we all know he did. We cover it bi-weekly here on the show. But you want to talk about just absolutely trying to delegitimize this guy 24 hours a day on some of these networks, everything from, you know, things like Russia collusion all the way up to the death-o-meter during COVID. I miss the death-o-meter. 
if they think they're outside the scope of retribution when Donald Trump wins the election next year, I hope they continue to have panels like that one Randy Maddow was leading the other day on MSNBC while Donald Trump was getting his mugshot taken. Guys, I just want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. It helps juice the algorithms. It keeps us up in the suggestion. And, of course, when you download the show, it helps Steak for Breakfast. Also, across social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast accounts and hit the notification bell. Also, I want to remind everybody we're going to be sitting down with New York Congressman George Santos in just a bit. But we've got a little bit more of coverage here. So, I have an admission to make, Noah. So, yesterday I was... Sitting in my car, watching my son's football practice. Mm -hmm. It was about an hour after the mugshot was released and started to break the interwebs. And while I was on Twitter, participating in the Twitter spaces, I got a notification on my phone. And it was really hard to determine because they just drop down at the top of your screen when you're on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody had changed their fucking profile picture to Donald Trump's head. Oh, right. And it said... Donald J. Trump just posted. So my admission is, when I saw that and clicked on it, oh, man, I feel so gay right now. (laughs) I got a dopamine rush that almost made me lightheaded when I saw that he had posted on Twitter yesterday. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah. It was like overwhelming joy to see that the king had returned. I mean, that's a good time to come back, like, You're not even, like, going out in a high note. You're just like, this is the high note. And his return post was a picture of his mugshot (laughs) and a direct link to his campaign website to where you could now buy T-shirts, coffee mugs. Oh, we need a coffee mug. Yes, we certainly do. (laughs) And things of that nature. (laughs) And, uh, you know. And and I want to tell everybody listening, like, there's going to be a lot of people making funny t-shirts, but if you want to buy a fucking Trump mugshot t-shirt, what more authentic source can you possibly have than from the man himself? I had the Goju shirt in college Yeah, with, with OJ's mugshot, and I still have it in my closet. So, yeah, so so that happened, and, you know, Donald Trump posted on, on True Social shortly thereafter that, don't worry, he loves True Social, and it's his, I'm quoting now, home. I don't know how much he's going to be posting on X, formerly Twitter, or if it's just going to be campaign-driven stuff like he only does on Instagram and Facebook right now where he's been active for a couple months. This is his first zizzer on X. <laughs> We're going to stick with it. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to resonate. I like it. But the thing is, for all these motherfuckers that have been out there shitposting and taking pot shots at Donald Trump for the last two and a half years, you don't want to be the first person that gets absolutely fucking clapped by him. Oh, no. Just saying. Because it's historical at this point. Like, it's going to be in children's textbooks. <laughs> Screenshots. So Donald Trump got off the tarmac and onto Trump Force One and jumped immediately on the phone with Newsmax's Greg Kelly. He continued on from the narrative of which he gave on the tarmac that it's a sad day for this country while talking to him in an exclusive interview. Let's hear that. You were in custody today. It's totally absurd, uh, in my opinion. But uh, what was it like? How do they treat you? What was the experience like today in in jail? Terrible experience. Uh, I came in. I was treated very nicely. But uh, it is what it is. I took a mugshot, which I never heard the words 
mugshot that wasn't didn't teach me that at the Wharton School of Finance, <laughs> and uh, I have to go through a process. It's uh, election interference. You know that better than anybody. You cover it so well. You just a fantastic job. I have to tell you for the listeners, fantastic job, Greg. But it's a very sad experience, and it's a very sad day for our country. This is a weaponized Justice Department, and all of these indictments. And, and you just have to take into consideration the fact that, you know, he mentions the mugshot. First of all, the connection was awful for that clip. But I don't feel as bad as when we have it like that on the show now because, mm. you know, Greg Kelly's doing the live hit with new. Sometimes it's just the way it is. Yeah, it sometimes doesn't matter how good your service is. It's just going to shit the bed. Yeah. But for him to talk about the mugshot, I wonder if they had prepped him or he had prepped them going in and saying, like, all right, this is going to be good because this is going to be stuff that we are going to absolutely make so much campaign cash with. I, I will ma- I'll make sure I'm going to do it and do it right. Mm-hmm. It was a great mugshot, to be honest with you. They had to have had somebody like holding a light up to get that really good side lighting. You know, I wish for as embarrassing as it is for our country that the cameras were allowed. And I would have loved to see a little bit of the interaction with him and law enforcement down there in Fulton County. I know that the, all those people that work there don't feel the way, uh, you know, that scumbag Fannie Willis does. And, and the thing is, you know, the iconic parade of motorcycle cops that brought Donald Trump back to the airport and then line up all their bikes with the lights on. And then he goes over and shakes all their hands and takes a picture with him before he talks to the press is just, you know, it's just the way it is. With well, you know, he walked in there with everybody that was working. He's like, it's okay. This is good. This is going to be good. You just watch. I guarantee something like that, he said. Oh, it's the truth. And, you know, one of the things that we try to provide for you guys on the show, because we do talk to so many people that's close to the president, is how is he really feeling? And, and I thought it was great last night that Greg Kelly asked him about that, talking about his schedule and the amount of sleep he gets. Let's hear that one as well. And, uh, and crushing Biden by about seven points in the latest poll. How are you sleeping, by the way? In your, in your book a long time ago, you said you slept four hours a night. Are you still a four-hour-a-night guy? What, uh, you got a routine when it comes to that? No, but more or less, but I do, uh, I do sleep soundly, and I don't let it bother me because it is what it is. It's a horrible thing. And he alluded to the fact that when he wakes up in the morning and he sees these polls coming out, which we will touch on in a, in a little bit. He sees the way that the polls continue to rise and how he's remained strong in the Republican primary. And now, as Greg Kelly mentioned, several new polls that have come out in a head-to-head with him and Joe Biden, it, it's what drives him. Mm-hmm. It, it literally gives him the energy and the life force. Like, I'll be honest with you, it's not the fast food and Diet Cokes. No? Probably has a little bit to do with the 18 holes that he plays on a regular basis. But... It's all of the energy that we're sending his way and the fact that when you are approached by a pollster or participate in a poll, you know that Donald Trump is the only person at this point who could save us, uh, him and the team, when they get back into office in 2025. And and that's just the fact of the matter. And when you hear him say stuff like that, it, it should be reassuring to everybody. I always tell people who listen to this podcast, feel bad because of the situation, but don't feel bad for Donald Trump because Donald Trump doesn't feel bad about himself. Mm-hmm. And, and and it takes a certain... Listen, there are a lot of people who are have been drawn in by this huge net that they threw out who probably look in the mirror every day and want to just fold. And when you 
work with someone like Donald Trump, it probably gives them what they need to get by and, and know that they're all going to be okay at the end of the day to get through this. Last clip before we jump in with Congressman Santos. Former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker was on Fox News last night talking about how now the chess game begins. We already talked with Jesse Pinal with Donald Trump putting the court on notice in regarding to the speedy trial was and, and, and why Mark Meadows is asking for his case to be moved to federal court. But when you talk about the dates and how they line up with some of the calendar related to the Republican primary shape up, you could see the play that the Democrats are using to play lawfare with Donald Trump. Let's check it out. Remember, they've now scheduled this first uh, uh, trial on the day before Super Tuesday, where 15 states plus American Samoa are going to go vote. And, and if you're thinking you can prepare for a trial and visit 15 states uh, in the lead up to Super Tuesday, I mean, that's going to be impossible. So obviously what Greg's saying is absolutely right. This is all planned and coordinated in order to try to prevent Donald Trump uh, from being strong enough to win the election in November. But knowing the guy like I do, I don't think they're going to stop him. And that's just what we were talking about. You know, I don't know, and I'm glad we were able to talk to Jesse about it, about what happens when a court tells you that you need to be in court this day, and it's like the day before Super Tuesday, or it's, you know, the day before the Iowa caucuses and stuff like that, because this is just going to be a big chess game, and it's going to be kind of messy. So we'll keep tracking this. As we always do here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast, we've got Congressman Santos keying up right now. But before we jump in with him, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the America First Congressman representing New York 3. Always excited to talk to Mr. George Santos. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me, as always. Always great to be with you guys, especially on a Friday. It is a big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Bigger now that you're here and almost as big of the news that kind of went down yesterday. Congressman, I do want to get a hot take from you on, on how you watched the events develop on television in real time when you saw President Trump head down to Fulton County and get processed. Obviously, he broke uh, the Internet yesterday by returning to X, which is formerly Twitter. And uh, believe it or not, for someone who went to, to jail and got processed, I think uh, – we're feeling like we're more back than ever. I don't know if you're kind of feeling the same way right now, but what's your take on it? Uh, let's start with this, Roan. What happened yesterday was uh, the beginning of the end of this country. It, it, it should send a chilling effect down every single American spine. The fact that we have now a mugshot of a former president and current presidential candidate. Just think about it this way. Mugshots were designed to hold... Uh, in case a perp or somebody being accused uh, were to evade justice. And that's just so you can make a facial recognition of that perp. Are you saying that nobody will ever recognize Trump? That was necessary? No, that was political. That mugshot is political. That indictment is political. The indictment in Washington is political. The indictment in New York is political. It's all garbage. Do you know why it's garbage? Because all of this was done in the interest of public safety and of American public interest while he was president of the United States of America. The fact that the DOJ thinks it has jurisdiction and is trying to, to literally 
attack and go after a president for doing his job, for asking questions, asking tough questions, and indicting an entire legal team in Atlanta, these DAs should be unseated and investigated immediately by the Judiciary and Oversight Committee because it's absolutely appalling that we're allowing this charade and this ruse to take place in the United States of America. Did it please you yesterday to see that uh, House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan wants to begin an investigation into Fannie Willis and the Fulton County DA's office? Absolutely. She's a hack. She's, she's, she's making good on campaign promises. How in the world can a campaign promise be, I'm going to go after Trump, just like Alvin Bragg. I will prosecute Trump. Letitia James, I will prosecute Trump. These are supposed to be people who are going after the law as it stands, not because it benefits them politically or it's politically expedient for their party or for their fundraisers. I mean, what are we doing? It's becoming a banana republic. And then, you know, the people who are very inactive or quiet on social media on the Republican side, both in the House and Senate, you know, we've tabbed them. Actually, I have to give credit to my co-host and engineer Noah over there. Banana Republicans, the one who's, who are just willing to sit back and, and let whatever happens, happens. It's not people like you who are getting ready to go back to work. It's not get, like people like Jim Jordan who, who's getting ready to open up an investigation. It's the people who say, yeah, whatever happens, happens, and we'll just kind of let it slide. Oh, that's, those are the hacks. Those are the hacks of the deep swamp. They're bought and paid for by God knows who their sugar daddy is, whether it's Big Pharma, whether it's, you know, some Russian oligarch, or whether, whoever. They're bought and paid for. I think Vivek Ramaswamy said it best the other day on stage. He's not bought and paid for. Donald Trump's not bought and paid for. And you can damn right know George Santos not bought and paid for. We love to hear that, and we also love to be tracking the work that you've been doing. So if our listenership doesn't know... Uh, the House of Representatives is on congressional recess right now, and I've noticed over the course of the last couple of weeks, you've been filling up my feed with doing a lot of work in district down in New York 3. Everything from checking in on small businesses to dealing with the influx of migrants that, that are hammering New York right now, Congressman. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit of an update on what's been going on with you? Well, I'm just holding their feet to the fire here in New York, right? Just think about it this way, Rose. New York City has five boroughs. I happen to represent a portion of Kings County, which is one of the five boroughs of New York City. Then you have Nicole Maliotakis, who's another Republican who represents the borough of Staten Island and a part of Brooklyn. You know, there's, uh, I think, about 12 of us representing New York City uh, uh, counties in Congress. Only two of us are Republicans. It's baffling to me that when you look at it and see we, both myself and my counterpart in Staten Island, are disproportionately receiving now, all of a sudden, all these super sites for migrants, but all the liberal districts like Jamal Bowman and AOC and Richie Torres and Nidia Velasquez, they get a pass. Why don't we dump them in their district? That's what the people who live there vote for. Those are the policies they support. Not the people in NY3, not the people in NY11. Those are not the policies they support. But we're getting them dumped in. Now Hawking Jeffries has the, the Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, which is a federal, uh, a federal park. Uh, housing migrants. They're, gonna, they're soon going to start housing migrants. He's setting the tone. He's, show, he's leading by example. This is what he believes in. This is his policy. So when they go on TV and say, oh, we're looking bad, no, they're not. They, they know they're looking bad, but they like what they're doing because these are the policies they support, they condone, and they're not standing up for New Yorkers. They're not standing up for Americans. While we have crises all across this country, 
with water infrastructure, with pollution infrastructure, with, you know, the lack of production of energy. We're failing at every single sector almost in our country right now. Our economy is upside down. Our finances are out of order. We're bleeding and hemorrhage money to a country that is defending their so- sovereign sovereignty while our sovereignty is out uh, out of whack. But yet Democrats don't want to resolve or address a single one of those issues. I'm ready to go back to Washington. I think recess should end. We have way too many problems in our hands. We should be right now in chambers debating on how to fix this migration invasion at the southern border. This is a humanitarian crisis and it's not being addressed. You know, that's great because I was going to segue towards looking ahead to when Congress reconvenes here in just a a little while. And and looking towards appropriation seasons, we have uh, definitely the opportunity to pull some strings in regards to the purse and, and the budgets that are going to be going into the federal agencies moving forward. You know, I hear a lot of people in America First, they get very active on Twitter, they get very active on television, they get very active on Steak for Breakfast when they come on. I mean, we've, we've had just about everybody from the America First delegation come through this show this year and talk about how when we get to appropriation season, we're putting our hands down. We had Representative Corey Mills in here on Friday, and he said, if it's a continuing resolution or an omnibus bill that Joe Biden needs to get this budget from whenever you guys get through the first round of appropriations till the end of the fiscal year to start off next year, it's not happening. There's at least 20 to 25 congressmen and women who said they're not going to do it. And I just want to know, looking down the road a bit, what part of appropriation seasons are you looking to, to finally get into that's going to uh, you know, have the Democrats have to come back to the negotiations for all the big issues, everything from the economy to the border that you guys are going to be funding in a couple uh, months? Look, the way I'm looking at it right now, as all these appropriation bills stand, I'm not voting for a single one of them. None of them make sense. I don't care what anybody says. Look, we need to have budget cuts. I agree. But there's also some very dumb budget cuts taking place and, 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 and Ukraine money is still there. So we're going to cut water infrastructure programs, which is, I mean, we think we all can agree, right, Ron? We all have the right to clean water, but we're not going to cut Ukrainian budgets. I mean, no, that's it. So the reality is I join with the ranks of my good colleague, uh, Corey Mills, from the state of Florida. That's, that's absolutely no CRs to get Joe Biden off the hook. We need to do this now. We need to do this right and we need to do this honorably and honestly for the American people. Enough putting them with the bill, enough shafting the American people with bad, raw deals just for political expedience. No more. That's not why I got elected. That's not why I'm That's not how I'm going to vote. Well, that's perfect. I mean, you know, the last couple congressmen who have come on the show, Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, we're going to have Mike Collins in here on our Wednesday edition of the show next week. They've all, you know, kind of said we missed an opportunity with, with uh, you know, limit, spend, grow, and now we have the opportunity to really uh, tighten the reins with with appropriation season right around the corner. Congressman, last thing, I, I, we'll keep it a little loose because we're on the Friday edition of the show here. You know, based off of a uh, formerly Twitter X poll that we ran this week, uh, we asked who about potential vice presidential candidates uh, that Donald Trump might be looking into and vetting. And, uh, you know, I decided to throw your name in there and you wound up winning the poll. So based off of those reactions we get from the America First listenership and all the patriots we've got online, would you be willing to accept a vice president position if Donald Trump made the call? Look, I, I, I'll, I'll be I, I take a really good dose of reality every morning when I wake up. I've. I'm flattered that our fellow Xers are, are on board with it, but I think there's a lot better and more uh, uh, qualified folks to do so. Uh, but I'll say this. I, I think that the next vice president of the United States was not on that stage, on the debate stage. And I'll say this. I think he's a congressman sitting in the state of Florida. You and I both know who that is. 
Certainly do. And, uh, you know, I'm about to put out a substack over the weekend that talks about some of the potential vice presidential picks, and he is 100% in there. We, we, uh, we have a very special way. He's actually said it a couple times uh, when he's done news pieces that me and Noah introduced him on the show, and I think our listener knows exactly what I'm talking about. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's probably one of the most pressing issues we've had here on the show. We uh, are definitely healthy here on Steak for Breakfast. We're always taking our vitamins. We have been lacking a little bit of vitamin V over the last couple of months on the show, namely Vish Burra, uh, who's one of your uh, congressional staffers. Do you think at any point in the near future we might be seeing Vish Burra back on steak for breakfast? I think uh, I think if the request comes through at the right time, I have no problem with it. I think we should bring back Vish. You and you, only if you promise to ask me what his nickname is by a by a very specific member of the Colorado delegation. If if you promise to make that. Ask him that question. What What is he known for by uh, the distinguished lady of Colorado? I will let him come back on the show. <laughs> I just wrote it down, and you can expect an email on that at some point over the weekend. Congressman, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. If anyone's not following on social media, where can they check you out? They can check me out at Rep George Santos on all social media, and I look forward to, to continuing the conversation with you guys as always, man. Absolutely love hosting you on the show. This is the congressman who's fighting for New York 3, Representative George Santos. Have a great weekend. Thank you, guys. Joe is really... But you don't think he's going to make it to November of 20? Well, I, I think he's worse uh, mentally than he is physically. And physically, he's not exactly uh, a triathlete or any kind of an athlete. You look at him, he can't walk to the helicopter. He, he walks. He can't lift his feet out of the grass. You know, it's only two inches at the White House, right? It's not a lot. But you watch him, and it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. So, and then you see him in the beach where he can't lift a chair. You know, those chairs are meant to be light, right? They're like two ounces. Yeah. You lift them up. He can't lift the chair. He can't walk to the chair. And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role. But they love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. He looks terrible on the Skinny beach. Skinny legs. Well, he can't walk through the sand. You know, sand yeah. is not that easy to walk through. But when he walks through it, he can't walk through the sand. And there's somebody in there that thinks he looks fabulous at the beach. I think he looks horrible at the beach. Yeah. So, Noah, this interview literally smashed all of the social media records forever. Uh, beat Tucker's biggest interview. Beat, I don't know, things like the Super Bowl for watches and views. When you check this thing out, what were you expecting, and what did you kind of take away from this thing? Because I thought the best part about it was the fact that we got to hear, and, and we'll get to it in a bit, a little bit more of a off-color Donald Trump, not really like hammering every policy point home and, and kind of getting a little loose with Tucker. And it was a, it was like a loose kind of, you know, the way they set it up. It seemed like it was, it was pretty chill, and I, I actually really liked hearing like a little bit more of, of an inside to, to the way Donald Trump is, you know, outside of the when he's behind a podium. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was good. It was an interview that, I mean, Tucker asked some good questions, and Trump, he didn't, like, lead the entire thing. He went off on his little tangents every now and then, but it was it was honest, and it was it seemed, you know, just seemed like he was there and present because that's what presidents do. You know, I, I like when you talk about the tangents. The one thing that he's kind of, he gets like stuck on something and he'll talk about it for like a few different speaking events before mm -hmm. he gets like focused in on something else and then it moves, you know, turns the page onto the next thing. The water pressure. Apparently that bothers the shit out of him. And, yeah. And he talks about how like when you go into some hotels and the water just drips out and he's like, the thing I don't understand is 
if you have water pressure, you could wash your beautiful hair. <laughs> if you don't have water pressure, you just stay in the shower longer and let the little bit of water come out. You wind up using the same amount or more water. Yeah. On the waters. I don't know where why he got is fixated on water savers right now, but it's one of the things he keeps bringing up, and well, I think it's I, well, hilarious. For me at hotels, if the water temperature isn't hot, that, that drives me up the wall. Yeah. Obviously, if it's a shitty thing that's you know pissing on you with lukewarm water, that sucks too, but yeah. You know who else was hot is... Uh, was Congressman George Santos right there. He was pretty fired up about the Trump arraignment yesterday. It was great sitting down and catching up with him. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the numbers right now. It's it's midday here on the West Coast on Friday. As of right now, the Tucker Carlson-Donald Trump interview from Tucker Carlson's official X account is 256 million views. Ooh, I'm going to zizzer that out right now. There you go. <laughs> so about to be 256,000,000.1 views. He also, it's been shared, and this is just a, an organic repost not somebody quoting it. We'll get to that in a sec. 201,000 times. It's been quoted. So somebody wrote a comment above it and shared the post 20,000 times. It's received almost 800,000 likes. And it's been bookmarked, which means you could save it kind of on Twitter. And then when you go to your bookmarks, you have that as a saved post uh, 67,000 times. Wow. Pretty much breaking all the records ever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it, Somebody sat there and watched the entire thing, and, and people are trying to attack those numbers, saying that that just means somebody scrolled past it. But it's like you had to have at least hovered on it for a little bit. A little bit. No, I, I agree with you. You know, the thing is, I the debate was going on, and, and I knew I was going to have to watch the debate, but I said, you want to know what? I'm just going to fucking watch it later. It, it doesn't matter. I'm going to see the notifications. I literally put my phone in the do not disturb uh, way I do for the podcast here so it doesn't ring. I actually declined a phone call from my wife, and she didn't text me immediately, so I knew it was an emergency. And I watched the entire thing from start to finish. And, you know, I would go back and watch it again a second time and then, you know, pull some clips for the show today that we're checking out right now as we're going to do Trump on Tucker on X. But, uh, you know, when you talk about the comparison of the numbers, so they came out this morning for the Trumpless GOP debate, and only about half the people who watched the first one Donald Trump participated in back in 2015, watched this one. Back then it was 23.9 million compared to only 12.8 million who watched it. Ouch. And, and like I said, Tucker Carlson's post right now has 256 million views. So. Less than a fraction of 1%. <laughs> Jeez. So even if people... Me, you know, you want to go with that narrative that people merely scrolled through it. It's still, it doesn't matter. Tens of millions of more people watch this than they did the the presidential primary. Yeah, debate. and that's amazing. They also showed a comparison of tweets over the last 24 hours. Donald Trump's first tweet had gotten tens of millions of shares. At the same time, When Donald Trump first posted, there was an organic fundraising tweet from the official POTUS account of Joe Biden asking for money uh, heading into next year's general election. It only received 13 million whatevers, and Donald Trump's was up around like 80. So you're talking about nearly a 7-to-1 margin of Donald Trump's post. I mean, yes, it's Donald Trump's first post in in over two years, and everyone's been waiting for it and and what it was. It's obviously going to get shared more widely. But when you just look at I mean. When Kareem Jean-Pierre posts on Joe Biden's account now, it's like people are just ratioing the comments. It's not like (laughs) people were in there cheering for Ukraine or anything like that. Speaking of those morons, Donald Trump uh, alluded to something we talk about on the show quite frequently. We try to highlight 
the lowlights. That is every time Kamala Harris opens up her mouth at a public speaking event. Uh, Donald Trump has not really hit her that hard. But he did want to highlight the point that we usually try to make here on Steak for Breakfast, which is who the fuck is writing her speeches? And if she's not reading them like she's supposed to be reading them, then who the hell's allowing her to talk like that? Um, yeah, why would they not just tell her? Or, like, I mean, obviously, people in high visibility positions, they get vocal coaching. They get, you know, uh, they get coached on what to say, how to say it. What not to do? How not to sound like a fucking vapid imbecile? And either she's just that arrogant. No, she's she's retarded. Or or she's or both. And uh, I thought Donald Trump's not really impersonation, but the way he kind of broke it down, describing the way she talks, <laughs> is pretty funny. Let's hear it. He has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile too. She speaks in uh, in rhyme. You know, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you? Well, the way she talks, the bus will go here, and then the bus will go there because that's what buses do. And <laughs> it's weird. The whole thing is weird. This is not a president of the United States future. You know, and the thing is, my biggest takeaway from the Tucky interview, we did not get. That was about as big as the iconic Tucky laugh that we got throughout the course of the whole thing. I thought he was going to let one of those... One of the big, like, guffaws. Yeah, Yeah. go, and and it never happened. But maybe it was out of respect for the former president and, uh, you know, number one contender in in the race this time. Uh, Getting down to some serious business, Donald Trump did want to talk about uh, what's going on with the case in Georgia. Obviously, this was recorded before, but uh, wanted to kind of, you know, give his opinion on, on what's going on with that and Fannie Willis. Let's hear it. The protest didn't work. You got elected anyway. Yeah. Impeachment didn't work twice, obviously. Um, indictment is not working. Nope. Your poll numbers go up. When they raided Mar-a-Lago in August yeah. of last year, your numbers went up. Um, they can indict you 20 times, and it's not gonna, you're not going to lose the Republican primary because of that. Well, so, it like, makes it look even more ridiculous. I mean, the four indictments, and maybe there'll be more. I don't know. These people are crazy. But they're counterproductive. So if you chart it out, it's an escalation, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. So what's next after, you know, try to put you in prison for the rest of your life? That's not working. So, like, don't they have to kill you now? It's a big question. I, th- I think the people of our well, country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I, I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it. You know, they yeah. really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life on this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense, bullshit. It's all bullshit. <laughs> it's horrible when you look and, and you look at what they're doing. You think you dropped the double bullshit because you messed up on trivial? Called mm. the trivia. <laughs> I love him. No, it's funny. But it's true. I, you know, not a lot of people have the balls to ask someone of Donald Trump's stature, like, hey, this is really bad. And and where this is going, I, I don't see much else for him to do to try and kill you. No, I, I actually hate that I made that prediction, too. Mm-hmm. Don't say it out loud. No, I, yeah. Too late, you already did. Yep. <laughs> That's right. We keep it light here on the show, especially on our Fridays edition. Speaking of which, they did uh, have an alley dunk on former. Well, you know, Tucker Carlson was he's going through that whole weird thing, as as Chad McMore pointed out. 
uh, with Fox News right now as part of their separation there, demanding that he doesn't produce content. He's producing tons of it and still getting a paycheck every two weeks from Fox News while he's, you know, doing his thing now on, on X, formerly Twitter. And, you know, I'm sure Tucker Carlson probably has a few friends over at the the network, but doesn't have too many fans, if you know what I mean. Mm. Chris Wallace, former disgraced interviewer and election debate moderator on Joe Biden's team. His name came up. This was really just a breakaway alley dunk Trump to Tucker. Let's hear it. How come, and this was in front of probably not a friend of yours, Chris Wallace, he was the moderator. Not a friend. I said, why did, why is it, he wants to be Mike, but he doesn't have the talent. It's one it's of those bitchy little, little man. He wanted to be his father, but he didn't have the talent of his, his father was great. His father, a little fussy man. His father interviewed me in 60 minutes. It was actually a 10. Can you believe I, it? No, I told you, I his father got, had talent, at no, least. I may have been the only guy that he gave a good 60 minutes to. He was rough. Really? His father was tough. He was great, though. He was great at what he did. But uh, Chris Wallace was so upset. He was guarding this guy who wouldn't do a show, by the way. You know, he wouldn't do, I figured... I didn't mind Chris Wallace because uh, he wouldn't do, Biden wouldn't do a show. And it was very obvious, you know, he kept asking him and asking, but he wouldn't do the show. So I figured he's got to like me, but he came from a different planet. But remember when I asked the question, why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife is allowed to give you three and a half million dollars? Don't forget, that was brought up now. It's brought up all the time, but that was brought up by me long before anyone ever heard of it. I said, the mayor of Moscow's wife giving you three and a half million dollars. What did you do to deserve three and a half million dollars to Biden? And Chris Wallace said, this doesn't, uh, this has nothing to do with the debate. <laughs> I mean, he fought. He got him. in the way of the question. No, he, well, it was, it was crazy. And I said, well, wait a minute. He got three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. Now, people forget that. But if you go back and take a look, you will see. And Chris Wallace didn't want me to ask that question. I said, I think it's a very appropriate question. It turned out to be much more appropriate than people thought. No, no, Chris Wallace has got no love on this show. No. And the funny part was, is as Donald Trump just continues to steamroll through that talking point, Tucker Carlson just is like, yeah, we're not friends. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah, he's just a bitchy little man. And Donald Trump just kept talking and didn't break stride. <laughs> you could watch it, and I'm watching Donald Trump kind of like he turned his head a little bit, and Tucker Carlson sitting there like almost giggling. Giddy. And, and Donald Trump didn't know, should I stop talking? Or are we just going to continue to make fun of him? He, just, then, he gave him the mugshot look for a split second. So, so then he tries to segue, and he's like, oh, he'll never be his father. And Tucker's like, oh, absolutely not. And I'm just like, oh, man, he really has no love for Chris Wallace. And a lot of people don't. And So Donald Trump's like, all right, what can I th- Okay, so he begged Joe Biden to go on the show, and, and like that piece of shit wouldn't go on there. So that's what you could say about you know how people respect <laughs> him. And that's when Tucker bird, blurted out the, the little howl there. But, uh, you know, it was just... Watching this thing go down, it was free, it was loose. Like I said, they talked about everything from the water pressure that comes out of your shower heads to... Drilling, uh, drilling holes in it. Yeah, and Donald Trump even cut him off there and said, you want to know what? They, they make these things with, like, multi-leveled restrictor plates now to where if you got to rip the whole thing out if you want to try and do that. And I'm, gonna, I'm assuming there's none of those at the Trump hotels. Oh, I bet you the water pressure is absolutely fantastic yeah. there uh, over at Bedminster and down at Mar-a-Lago. But, you know, the thing is, is that... You watch these guys, and it was just a breath of fresh air than than the manufactured, prefabricated, focus group driven. Bullshit. 
stuff that you guys are unfortunately going to have to cover with us in our third segment when we touch on the uh, our, our presidential primary roundup this week is going to be the lowlights of the best of the rest JV team pretender presidential debate. So, you know, but asking questions about everything from showerhead pressure to do you think you're a candidate to be murdered right now or even worse, do you think we're nearing like a civil war in this country? It's crazy. Just to think that, uh, you know, and there's people like on both sides of, of the spectrum of this, and I'm not talking about the one that Ron DeSantis is on. I'm talking about this commentary. Ooh. There's people who will absolutely not touch it because they know it's Fed posting and Fed potting. And then there's people like Tim Poole who gets swatted on like, you know, bi-monthly basis sometimes when, when they feel like busting his balls, who talk about nothing except civil war and, and you know, Podcast hosts like him think that people are just going to go out in the street with firearms if, God forbid, Donald Trump gets put in jail or worse. So, you know, it's something that you got to think about. I just think the way that our country is built and how big and vast it is, like an actual civil war is something that I don't no. ever see happening outside of a, a major catastrophe. Uh, no, they're just going to the, – our enemies are going to take advantage of our separation. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what's going to happen. And – we're already in digital warfare and non-kinetic warfare right now. Mm-hmm. And have been for a long time. Yeah. And we, we've entered the next stage, which is full-on lawfare. Yeah. So, you know, what comes after that? It, it, it's something that we need to be asking ourselves. We won't be getting to the solutions on that today, but we are coming up with constitutional attorney out of the Dillon Law Center. Ron Coleman's about to jump in. But before we hear from him, let's check out one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's an attorney at the Dillon Law Center. He's also the host culmination mr ron coleman thanks for coming back on the show my pleasure guys how you doing oh man well i wish i was over there in new york i could go for some pizza and bagels right now i'm sure no well yeah we are the carbohydrates capital of the united states i don't doubt i certainly would agree with you about that i would destroy a pizza right now the only only thing (laughs) you get out here is burritos and and really really crappy pizza so but uh well ron what's the latest that's been going on with you why don't you catch our listenership up on some of the stuff that you've been working on we know you're one of the uh busiest guys out there working it in new york city well i am pretty busy although i you know i i do a lot of business litigation uh even here at the dylan law group we can't really fill our stomachs entirely with political stuff and i'm not sure that we that we would want to uh so i i'm you know i'm in the middle of preparing for a a, a trademark trial which I, in the southern district of new york which is something that uh, i've been doing for many years it's been part of my practice but we're obviously very busy with um uh the stuff that's going on in connection with the trump campaign sure. uh whom our firm re- which our firm represents we don't represent donald trump personally but uh there's 
there's lots of excitement in the air these days and lots of uh, opportunities for us to help. And Harmeet and I, because we're, we're both uh, social media figures, uh, and, and Harmeet has a, a nonprofit which represents, it raises money and enables free speech and similar liberty-oriented causes to be uh, represented by, by lawyers, because we can't do everything pro bono. Um, the Center for American Liberty, we've just launched, and I say we, it was really Harmeet, but I'm helping her on the social media side, launched a campaign to get people to make donations so that we can help provide rep representation. And uh, keep in mind that I say we, it's the Center for American Liberty, not our firm. We don't do criminal work, hardly any. any. Anyway, um, all those people who were booked in Georgia for this this criminal uh this criminal criminal travesty including my friend uh, jenna ellis who i subbed for on her podcast yesterday because she was on the way back from uh, being released uh, from her arrest for the crime of representing a client who challenges an election i mean guys this is this is parlous times you know I think one of the biggest things I want to talk to you today about, Ron, because you really can explain stuff well. You lay stuff out there. You know, I've listened oh, to your you. podcast. You don't just go for the, the catchphrases or the drive-by headlines. You like to unpack stuff for your listenership, and we want you to do a little bit of, of that today. We're talking about this case with President Trump. It, it's a very— oh, oh, this case with President Trump? Which one would that be? <laughs> well, when he said— we don't I run out of fingers. <laughs> <laughs> when he said uh, we don't directly represent uh, Donald Trump, I wish we had on the— uh, on the board the button that says because you'd be in jail yeah. <laughs> well i must say i'll tell you guys something does anyone listen to this podcast or should i be more careful no listen you say whatever you want to say on steak for breakfast <laughs> oh yeah really i'll trust you on that does anyone listen to this podcast oh man <laughs> let's i mean look let's just say that let's just put it this way it's not all that many degrees of relationship away from us of uh, people who uh, people who were you know arrested and who have been harassed and you know probably whose social media was handed over by twitter to the feds in connection with january 6th not because our firm or any of us in the firm were involved but because of our involvement with the trump campaign and i was in contact with the white house uh, on election day election night the days thereafter i was on the phone with names you would recognize sure you know, and mostly in a volunteer capacity, uh, just because, you know, I am so smart and so good at what I do and so utterly prepared to work for nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I am very grateful that I my name wasn't flashed up there because as much as I, you know, look, by, by this morning, everybody has one of those uh, booking mugshots from that sheriff's office, you know, on, on one social medium or another. And I'm, I'm, I'm no exception, but I don't really want to be arrested. I, you know, wives don't really handle that kind of thing very well. So no, it is, it is, it is but you know, we are, yeah, we're grateful to not have, have, have been caught in, in, in that dragnet, but it is, a, it's just phenomenal that this is going on and that people believe, I mean, look, it, there's no, real legal risk here nobody believes for a second that, that, that this is going anywhere but the fact that people who run governments 
even at the local level, freaking sheriffs, county sheriffs think that they that they can do this kind of crap demonstrates that we are very broken here. Very broken. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to, to kind of get you to dive into a little bit more. I mean, you've done this for a long time. You've seen a lot of, you know, things change over the years. Not just the entirety of the legal system and the way it's being used and the lawfare that's being waged against common citizens these days, but just in places like New York, it used to be a liberal place. And then when Rudy was there, it was a little bit more hardcore. And now it's back to a free-for-all. How has it been kind of being an attorney in, in this climate that we're in right now and and seeing how fast we've got to this point to where you said it's like any random DA or sheriff can call anyone from uh, someone off the street who's protesting at a PTA meeting all the way up to the former president of the United States and drag them into the courthouse and have them arraign and, and get them a mugshot and, and try to throw them in prison. And, and I think the the way that the the law is perceived in this country this day doesn't really represent the way that the framers and the founders wanted the law to be ran in the United States when they started this country. And I don't see us having any opportunity to get back to something that's even relevantly normal anytime soon. Well, I think I think everything that you said is, is right, and I remembered uh, talking with Thomas Jefferson. And don't don't get this wrong. I mean, it was the end of his, it was the end of his life, and I was very young. But one thing that people don't appreciate is that the system. I, I don't know. I mean, some people do. You guys are, are insightful, but many people don't. The system has always operated as any system must on a very large amount of trust. You can have all the rules you want, you can have all the oversight you want. At the end of the day, you need honorable people, or at least reasonably honorable people, to do an honorable and trustworthy job when serving the public. And there are always going to be uh, slip-ups, there are always going to be failures of the system, but at least if there are are enough safety nets the overall system maintains a certain amount of credibility and you know i was both in new york state court and the federal court yesterday i was only really in federal court in front of a judge but then i had to go up to the to the state uh courthouse to do some administrative stuff and you look at the way these buildings are designed and the way they're decorated and the the way the words are inscribed and i might just be the biggest sucker in the world for this but what comes across to me is that these buildings that date from uh, almost 100 years ago bespeak a truly sincere aspiration for justice and for greatness and for rising above the previous experience of humanity in a way that I believe people of that time, liberals and conservatives, believe America was uniquely qualified to do. And part of what that in, in, implied was that if you were a public servant, you were given a certain amount of discretion, whether you were on the bench as a judge, whether you were a prosecutor, whether you were a member of the private bar whether you were law enforcement, that you had a duty that was higher than maintaining your pension, that you would strive to do the right thing. Because at the end of the day, we cannot govern, we can't tempt people in, in doing their jobs with rules and oversight. Otherwise, we just we may as well just write programs. That trust 
unraveled. And that unraveling process, in my opinion, began about 20 years ago. I mean, there's a, you could make the argument that it really began in the, in the, in the New Deal era, you know, that, that, or maybe even in the Great Society era that when government gets so big that there's more and more discretion being left to the state, you know, I'm not a sociologist or an historian, uh, but I will say that politically and in terms of what is going on out there, the last 15 or 20 years have seen a real abandonment of this sense that we're going to treat this this public trust with the esteem that it deserves. And at this point, and I think you were alluding to this in your question, it's not so much that these things have been done. They could always have been done. Nothing's changed. You didn't do them. You didn't do them because they were preposterous, just like in other areas of social life. You didn't let your school librarian or your school guidance counselor bring children into their offices and talk to them about maybe you're not really a girl, maybe you're a boy, and let's talk about that, and don't worry, we won't tell your parents. Crazy stuff like this. We wouldn't, physicians would not mindlessly uh, repeat what they were told merely because the government told them to. Yes, they might do it because they were paid to do so by R.J. Reynolds. I'm, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to go to some mythical golden ages that never existed. People have been jerks and have hurt other people and have abused the trust that we place in them as, since the beginning of time. But the social consensus has been completely cracked up because Americans have come to view themselves no longer as a united people, a people, the American people, but rather as a framework and a very loose one at that for the collection of interests and grievances. And that makes everyone basically an agent for himself and the people that he thinks of as his group. It's tribal, it's savage, and it is tragic well it is and and you know i i just want to kind of wrap here with you ron and, and and confirm a few things for our listenership one is definitely something that you were able to confirm now that you were at least in the audience during the first continental congress but, <laughs> but moving forward people like you and harmeet dylan and some of the great lawyers we have in america first you know ones who really appreciate and fight for the rule of law. I think the best thing that our listenership could take away from this is how you came in talking about not the high profile cases that you probably get to work on or the fact that you, you know, were in contact with the white house after the 2020 presidential election, but some of the pro bono work you were going on. I know we don't have as many fighters on our side as we wish we did, but do you plan on seeing this through and getting, you know, at least being part of the solution to getting the legal system back on the right track? Well, I, I, I do. And I'll tell you one thing. In a way, we have sort of, it's a more comfortable place for us to be in now with everybody being on a team rather than this sort of feeling that everyone's on one team, but really kind of not admitting that we're not. Um, let me be more, be more clear. I have been with Harmeet's firm for three years. Uh, three years ago, I was booted out of my previous firm for filing a lawsuit 
uh, the challenged uh, collaboration between the city of New York and Black Lives Matter. Mm. Only, and that was it. That was why, because it was Black Lives Matter. It's no longer an issue. You can no longer think that if you're in a, a, a medium to large size corporate law firm like I, like I was in at the time, a firm called uh, Mandelbaum Barrett now, um, they can no longer tolerate dissent. It can be quiet. It can, it can be private. Uh, but you can't do pro bono work or be involved in civic activities as a, as, as a, a conservative or an America, certainly as an America first conservative or in connection with the Trump campaign. So now what we have is a world in which the vast majority of institutional law firms and lawyers and bar associations are part of the hive. And then you have these quirky individuals, whether they're guys like Mark Rondaza or, uh, you know, even, and many, many of whom are former liberals. Uh, you know, guys like um, Norm Pattis, you know, guy with a guy with a ponytail. Right. right. People have been absolutely shocked. People who are formerly associated themselves with the left have been stunned. But and then you have all time, you know, conservatives like Harmeet and me who, um, in, you know, in law firms where this is what we do. We stand for standing for things. And we recognize that we're not going to make the kind of money that people in the law firms that you know get get to uh, suck off the tit of corporate <laughs> America and Wall Street get get to benefit from, but you know we do okay. Uh, Harmony in particular is is an extremely um, you know a popular lawyer that people can't get enough of. That's why her her rate is what it is. But we we're committed to this, and we you know we're able to set things up in a way, and we've got other refugees from large law firms joining us who do extremely high quality work and there's a place for us will the courts maintain a place for us the one of the other problems that's happened is that the, you know courts have become extremely polarized and there are certain jurisdictions where everyone knows liberals don't get a a, a fair shake and there are others where everyone knows that conservatives don't get a fair shake sure and a lot of that is amenable to reform uh if republicans ever get control of government again they need to eliminate the federal uh, district and the federal circuit of of the district of columbia there's no reason for a city to have its own district especially one that is is as thoroughly corrupt as the dc uh courts have become the federal courts uh, i can go on and on but the fight is there we uh are set up to you know to fight it we enjoy fighting it and we it's a comfortable place to no longer have to pretend to be one of the one of them i think you put it that was a great way to put it and and to close out there ron i think uh well we enjoy having you on the show and that's why we'll be asking to have you back at some point in the very near future we're going to live link your podcast and website in the show description today but for anyone that's not following you on social media where can they check you out at ron coleman spell it with an e at ron coleman and that's where you can find out everything that's going on whether you like to or not this guy is taking the street fight to the courtroom mm -hmm. as an attorney at the Dillon Law Center. He's also the host of Culmination. Mr. Ron Coleman, thanks for joining us on the show. Got you guys. See ya. Take care. You know, all the legal troubles, every indictment has led to higher poll numbers. I mean, can that be sustained all the way through? Well, it's hard for me to look. I, my theory about this race is that in the general election, um, 
for Trump to win, he would have to win back over millions of voters who voted for Joe Biden. It's a little hard to imagine that indictments help that process. I mean, in a general. In, in a general. In the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the primary season, so far it seems to have done him no harm, and it may never do him any harm. But I think it's a killer in the general election. I don't think, like, the Fox News anchors are going to linger on this question. <laughs> but, like, you're going to, like, who won the 2020 election? I, I think well, they'll ask that. Probably. Maybe Chris Christie will ask someone, like, should like was the gallows out front for mike pence a good or bad idea like show of hands like, well i mean mike pence is running on a platform of don't lynch me so I mean, right, yes that. that's right yes right. yeah don't hang Mike Pence. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. the trump campaign mocks you for going through the fourth or fifth restart of this summer well what's your response well i guess we'll have as many restarts as they have indictments i guess is how that will go but but we're excited. We have a record to run on. We have accomplishments to run on. And we have a vision for America that the, that the voters are responding to. And it, you could look no further than the last Des Moines Register poll to see how the, the, the distance between us and, and third place. It's clearly a two-person race. And that's how the voters are seeing it. And I think you'll see it tonight. Uh, you know, if you're over the target, you take a lot of flack. And I think that's what we're going to see. Our poll numbers keep going up, and Ron DeSanctimonious's keep going down. Look, at this point, they might have 20 different reboots. I mean, every other day, I forget. I mean, Major, you might know this. Are we in reboot number four for Ron DeSanctis or reboot number five? But every time they do it, here's, here's the fundamental problem. They're still stuck with the same flawed candidate attacking Republicans with this, uh, uh, this whole listless vessels thing. I mean, that's channeling Hillary Rodham Clinton. That's not a good look. So it was great catching up with Ron Coleman. And as you heard in that little montage right there with the latest indictment hanging over the Trump team's head, the rest of the fake primary field plowed through and, and carried on with the first presidential debate of 2024 uh, down in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this week. So listen, we got to do this stuff for people that may have missed the receipts, for people that refuse to partake in watching the event. I didn't watch it live. I didn't give Fox News that click in either viewership or age demographic. I went and, and checked it out online afterwards. And I don't even know if that works that way, of the Nielsen ratings and stuff like that. How, 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 how do they actually get that? It's a good point. I, I just don't. I think it's like an extrapolation, so maybe it doesn't matter. So I don't put you down as our uh, Nielsen ratings expert? No. No. Mm. I could watch a YouTube video and be as much of an expert as a lot of people. I don't disagree with you there. <laughs> it was great to uh, kind of watch this whole thing unfold. For any of our listenership that's looking for some extra ways to get steak for breakfast as well, I did put out a sub stack, which was a scathing review. Speaking of getting clicks. Yeah, I want to thank everyone that partook in sharing that because it was one of our largest reads ever. We got a couple hundred new subscribers as well. And I haven't even read it yet. And, and Noah's greatly anticipated. But here's the thing. Start to finish, and, and we're going to do a breakdown of this here. So the Ruthless Podcast, the Mitch McConnell podcast wing. Vagina. Of the Republican delegation of Congress uh, were the pregame show. They did up a little ESPN-like college game day, which I thought, you know, that part of the gag was cool. Mm. But the they rest do, of They do the music, the burp, 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 burp. All that shit. It's Monday Night Football music, not College Game Day. Oh, what the fuck? I don't, I don't, I don't do sports. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. 
where where the gag ended and the content began is where America Last was most represented. And you could tell that, you know, media entities like Ruthless and, and, and ones adjacent to it uh, have their interests and they are special. And to talk and promote some of the guests like, you know, their VIP was America Last Never Trumper Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. And the only content that he really brought to the table was to make his prediction on winners and losers of the debate before it started, saying that the only loser was, of course, Donald Trump for not participating. Of course. That would come back to bite him in the ass after watching the absolute debacle and shit show that was that debate. And that had nothing to do with the RNC or Ronna McDaniel or anybody else that set it up. It had to do with the participants who were sweaty over makeup, nervous, and at the end of the day, not really ready for primetime. Yeah, and then, like, excessive smiling, too. Weird smiling. Yeah. So that Ron DeSantis video, they said, that's a fucking Homelander face right there. <laughs> it is. I'll never let you down. And then, like, the awkward, like, I just... Lick smile? Came in my pants yeah. smile. Like, ugh. I think we have a button for that. <laughs> oh! Scissor me timbers. There you go. You know, hey, listen, <laughs> I, I haven't been getting some, some complaints in our podcast posting. I'm not garrisoning section. enough? Yeah. But don't worry. You've got an opportunity right <sighs> here with the best of the rest and the JV team. We're going to play some of their lowlights. We're and trying to get ourselves to a different level. We're not going to be that vagina podcast anymore. Some things that didn't happen. <laughs> there were no knives out for Ron DeSantis. Nobody attacked him, and he didn't attack anybody else. So that was all prefabricated garbage that they're mm -hmm. hyping up on places like Fox News. Um... A lot of people played it way too safe. I, I already mentioned Ron DeSantis. I thought Tim Scott did as well. But there were reports that he was a little bit under the weather, so we'll give him a pass on that. You know, it's just uh, – it, it's like I tell you guys all the time. You got some of these candidates, and they're a one-trick pony. Nikki Haley can only talk about being a girl in a race that's filled with men and can't start a sentence with China and Russia without ending the same sentence by saying Russia and China. She's the neocon candidate. Yeah. You've got Chris Christie, whose gag gift of trying to get people, and I'm air quoting now, was stale after user the first couple of times back in 2015. All of the candidates that participated in the debate were prepared for it and clapped back just as hard as he tried to clap them. Did he have nachos under his podium? No, but he took a really weird picture on a commercial break. A picture? <laughs> yeah, it was like with the neon lights all in his face. He looked like... Like a selfie? No, yeah, somebody. He went up to talk to somebody on the on the side of the stage. They took a selfie. I'll show it to you later. <sighs> but you know, and getting back to people like Tim Scott, like we do know and appreciate his backstory. You know that he grew up in a place that was tough to grow up in when you're an African American, especially when you come from a large family and are poor. But that can't be your number one platform to run on as a candidate for president of the United States. Talking about how many or how much progress we've made as a country is he's the sparkling example of that. He grew up in a place that tough and now is a senator that represents that state up on Capitol Hill. Like, that's pretty fucking good. amazing. But you can't talk about it every single time you open your mouth. Yeah. You know, you have to start. And here's the thing. Nobody bought policy and everybody was just as vague as they've been because we all know the minute you say something that's not either Trump aligned, part of the Trump doctrine, or not America first... You're fucking done more than you already are, which is at single digits, and that's the thing. This was two hours of seven or eight people fighting over the scraps of poll numbers that Donald Trump 
has not been able to gobble up yet. Period. End of story. There's nothing else. We, we can end the podcast essentially right now. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. We got to play some of the low lights. But that's the thing. And we'll talk about some poll numbers as well. You know, we'll get into this. Like I said, from the unpreparedness and failure to remember the talking points that a lot of these guys got from their consultants and focus groups and practice debates throughout the course of the last couple of weeks, all the way up to the bad job that, you know, Ruthless did leading into this thing, you know, hyping up people like Mike Pence and talking about how Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are awesome. And, and you know, they fucking just absolutely gush over Chris Christie. He's literally the most hated political Wait, candidate. Who gushes over Chris ever. Christie? Ruthless. They go what? On, he goes on the show all the time. Oh, come on, and guys. Have some self-respect. That's what I said. They live in mirrorless houses. That is awful. So, and the Brian Kemp thing was a bad gag gift. The only highlight of it was, and Wait, I don't know why he's still So frequents. the guys from Ruthless are all the King's men? Mm, I like that. <laughs> Stop. We already have an end credit. <laughs> Chris Lasavita did a drive-by. You know, they got a lot of respect for him and all the work he's done up on Capitol Hill for the last couple decades. And uh, provide a little bit of, you know, insight. This, that, and the other thing on on Team Trump, let's go, blinders on, gas pedals to the floor. And that was the only part of the, you know, extravaganza that I could even listen to without saying, like, man, no one would fucking listen to this if this is the show we brought to you guys every single week. And uh, we're, we're so glad that we don't, and, and we're so glad that you guys are all listening to it with us. The best part about it is when I get in Twitter spaces right now or when I post the show and people are actually referencing parts of it that are like an hour, two hours deep into the episode. And it's like, you know, not only the listenership, but the retentiveness of it is uh, growing every week. And we can't thank you guys enough. All right, let's jump into this fucking dumpster fire right now. That was the first (laughs) RNC debate. Here's Rob, Rick. I don't know what he was going by heading into this one. Mr. Ozempic. uh, I don't know, talking about something policy driven. Let's check it out. How do you stop? Crime. Well, actually, crime's at a 50-year low not in Florida. In, not we're, in Miami. We're, we're happy with that. Well, the statewide, it's a 50-year low. And so here's the thing. These hollowed-out cities, this is a symptom of America's decline. And one of the biggest reasons is because you have George Soros Trump funding these radical left-wing district attorneys. They get into office and they right. say they're not going to prosecute crimes. Yeah. They disagree with the inmates start running the asylum. There's He's one guy coaching. in this entire country that's ever done anything about that. Me. When we had two of these district attorneys in Florida elected with Soros funding who said they wouldn't do their job, I removed them from their posts. They are gone. And as president, as president, we are going to go after all of these people because they are hurting the quality of life and they are victimizing innocent people in every corner of this country. And it will stop when I get into office. He's had some vocal coaching. Like somebody gave him the anti-boring talk, I guess. I mean, or just like he changes inflection. I don't know if Don Jr. actually listens to the podcast. They do do a lot of traveling, so there's a chance that he does. But we do know for assuredly that people on the Trump team do. They enjoy it. They, they talk about some points. I, I think we're, when there's a guest on who's close to the team, they probably listen to see what they said or what we asked them. But here's the thing. You know how we ended the show last week? We were talking about Rob not being able to control the volume of his voice. We threw the Austin Powers. <laughs> I after we did that. So he, I wake up this morning and Don Jr. posts, hey, has anybody else ever noticed that Ron DeSantis, like, screams every time he opens his mouth? Like, he can't control the volume of his voice. And I was just like, really? <laughs> wonder where he heard that. <laughs> Be interesting to find out. I feel like uh, 
somebody should give Trump my little uh, nugget. Mm. I think he would like it. I could just hear him saying it. Say it. Banana Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) We've used it a couple times. I've thrown it Liz's way. She actually laughed and said that she loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, What a lot of people apparently haven't loved is North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who, I don't know if you heard Noah, was shooting some hoops the day before the debate and snapped his Achilles tendon to the point to where it rolled all the way up his ass cheek. Say what? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, the bad ones. That hurts. He put on a brace and uh, made it to the debate. He was about as obscure as the entirety of his campaign has been because he's, he's, we'll just call him little known. I don't have much bad to say about him. Yeah. Uh, We played a couple clips on him. because He must have been on some pain meds with that shit happening. Yeah. And and the thing is, you know, he, he does bring a lot to the table. Everybody's out there. We'll get into this in a little bit. Fawning over Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, warning, warning, danger, danger. But. Doug Burgum has gone out there and talked about some of the energy-efficient things and productive ways they've tried to survive in the energy sector throughout the course of the Biden regime uh, up there in North Dakota and was talking about how Joe Biden and his regime has done everything they can and more to absolutely destroy the energy sector and continue to do it on a daily basis. I thought it was a great highlight for someone who spoke. If he spoke like six, seven minutes for the entirety of the two hours, it was a lot. But let's hear the North Dakota governor right now. Hey, uh, uh, on this, we're missing something. We can't just talk about the Biden economy because the economy, energy, and national security are all tied together. We, of course, we're paying too much for our energy in our in our state, right in our country right now. But part of the reason why is because the Biden policies on energy. We've got a plan right now, the 1.2 trillion dollars of Green New Deal spending buried in the Inflation Creation Act, is something that is just subsidized. China. Like we're, if we're going to stop Inflation buying oil act. from the Middle East and start buying batteries from China, we're just trading OPEC for Sinopec. And then mm. belatedly, belatedly, the, the Biden administration says, no, we're going to put sanctions on Russian oil. Well, we put sanctions on Russian oil. Well, then it's 20% off. Who's buying it? China. So if yep. you buy a battery in this country, you buy a solar panel, it's being produced in a, power, in a plant in China powered by coal, or it's being powered by oil and gas at 20% off. And every farmer in this country would like to buy diesel at 20% off, just like they're buying it in China. But- Great points. Yeah. You know, you want to know what you, you want to talk about people auditioning for stuff throughout the course of this debate. I don't know what him and Donald Trump's relationship are. He seems like he's kind of a, an America first governor. I, I don't really remember ever hearing any negative interactions between him and Donald Trump when Donald Trump was the president. I know Donald Trump is a lot more friendly with the South Dakota governor whose name came up last night when asked about potential VP choices, and that's Christy Noem. Mm-hmm. Heard it here first over a year ago. Just want to make sure everybody remi- remembers that. I could see Doug Burgum, comma, energy secretary. Yeah. Or, or maybe something, you know, high-ranking official in the field, if that's kind of what he's getting his name out there for. And uh, didn't think he did too bad. I mean, he's definitely just not one of the ones you hear all that much about. No, and, and that's what I'm saying. Maybe him keeping a low profile yeah. and, and now bringing his resume to the forefront of his political campaign instead of, you know, talking about policy-driven points is what he's doing as an audition to maybe be a part of the next Trump administration. We'll have to wait and see. So I'm glad you warmed up the garrison button because this is where the shit show begins. Oof. I know. Uh, okay. Former vice president. <laughs> you had to prepare yourself for that one. Fly landing pad. Oh, our Judas, Michael Pence. Why does he even bother? Well, like why? 
less than zero percent chance. Two people got booed. You know who everybody hates? Sloppy Chris Christie. Well, yeah. I mean, I was just trying to think if there's anybody else that we hate. Well, Mike Pence, let's check it out. <laughs> now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. Listen, Here's the thing. Wow. <laughs> Once they all got through the player introductions, that was like an hour and 40 minutes straight of that. Just them talking over everyone. I haven't, I haven't watched much of it yet. I, I, I watched the Trump Tucker zizzering. That was the only thing I've watched. Nice. And yes, they did. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. If you do so much and feel compelled, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast across every downloadable podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Hit the subscription bell. Make sure it's downloading. Helps us out big time. Also across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. want to remind everybody that we still got some interviews coming up as well from the New York Young Republican Club. Ben Geller is going to be joining us for the first time, and we're going to be sitting down with John O'Shea, who's running for a congressional seat in Texas 12 for the first time as well. So we'll be uh, taking you into the weekend with a lot of delicious steak for breakfast. But what wasn't delicious was Vivek Ramaswamy's behavior throughout the course of this thing. A lot of people say he dominated the event. Uh, With talking points, he did. With policy, not so much. And when people kind of called him on it, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, uh, in regards to stuff about his lack of experience, his Barack Obama, you know, coming into the political theater like talking points and foreign policy, uh, he kind of resorted to, you know, a lot of the trademark things that he's used as a part of his campaign so far. Uh, Vivek is very vibrant. He's got a great smile. He's a handsome dude, and he's a powerful speaker. Uh, he's also a billionaire. And I, I and, like him. Yeah. I don't not like him, but here's the thing. We've been burned so many times. But um, let me finish. Get it. You know... He coached himself or was coached with that skinny guy with the, I mean, basically the Obama quote. Uh-huh. But he must have done that in the mirror so many times because that was supposed to be the focal point clip of the debates for him. Like, like, the, like the smile was almost too much. Uh-huh. Like, I like the guy. I like the things he says. But it just came off a little weird to me. I don't know. Maybe it was, did you get that vibe or no? I, I just feel like it's uh like, I felt like I was watching one of those, like, teenage sitcoms where everybody, like, overacts and it's all smarmy. Yeah, I just, I just feel like it's, you know, you can be the brightest star in the room when Donald Trump's not there. It's, it's easy because every single person there, probably outside of Doug Burgum, you've seen, you've heard, you're extremely tired of. And you don't want to hear the same establishment, case street-driven, Wall Street-driven, military-industrial complex-driven, lobbyist-driven bullshit talking points. Forgot money printers. Mm. <laughs> but but that's that's the there there. So and here's the thing, and what I warn everybody on Vivek, because I don't not like him, but you can only run as Donald Trump in the absence of Donald Trump. And to this point, he's been able to run as a true outsider who's a billionaire entrepreneur, very successful, who brings the right talking points. But as we saw when people tried to hit him in this debate on policy, and and it was a combination of him deflecting and Fox News protecting him because of his surge in the polls. 
at some point he's going to have to bring policy. And here's the thing. People kill him on things like, you know, foreign policy, geopolitics, and stuff like that. There will be advisors, if they're not already part of his campaign, who will come in and assist him in places where he lacks a knowledge. And he'll be able to build his platform on that, hopefully. If he's just going to run on, like, yes, I'd pardon Trump, and climate change is a hoax, and No, oh, so, let me jump in there. I've been seeing so many people misquote that that thing from him that he said. He said the climate change agenda is a hoax. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing people literally quote, unquote, the wrong, like, that's not how quotes work. Like, you quote what the guy actually says. Yeah. I just wanted to correct us. No, and it's true, and we're actually going to hear that clip right here in just a second. Uh, But the thing is, you know, you just have to take into consideration, remember, Vivek Ramaswamy can't be Donald Trump once Donald Trump enters the room. If he decides to show up at a debate... It's going to suck all the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. So that that's just the thing. I, I do want to play a little bit from him. We're going to jump into this right now. Chris, and you as By a the prosecutor way, should know yeah, better. Yeah, I, you know what? I know a lot There's better. There's a difference between I bad know, behavior. And I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. So there was that. Wait, advance the interests of the government? That's not what we, what we don't want to do. It certainly isn't. No, what we is, what we is. It certainly is. There was also this. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. Yeah. And so the reality is point. more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate right. change. Now, that was reminiscent of Donald Trump's harnessing of, you know, the only reason that I'm getting booed up here is because all of the people and the have f- been planted there yeah, are, are lobbyists and special interests who, who have bought and paid for every single one of these candidates who are on the stage with me. Yeah, you don't just get to go and sit in on that unless you got some money, I would assume. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it was it was clear that there was going to be, you know, a back and forth between him and some of these candidates. He, him and Nikki Haley got into it over geopolitics. He talked about, uh, you know, he, he said, I, I really hope that after this is all over, you enjoy your job sitting on the boards of Lockheed Martin or Raytheon. You know, he said it right to her face because he was next to her on the stage. <laughs> and then, you know, he talked about uh, Chris Christie wanting to give him a hug because he felt bad for him. He's like, you're going to give me the same kind of hug like you gave Obama and you, and when he went to New Jersey after the hurricane and you were hugging him on the tarmac? Like, he clapped back in a way that Donald Trump did back in 2015, but Donald Trump wasn't there. So there was a huge void that Vivek was able to fill. Yeah. Or trying to fill. And and when he wasn't producing Trump esque like talking points, he also tried to make different ones when they asked about things like supporting the former president in the next election. Let's hear it. You raise your hand supporting. I'd like to get in and respond. Let's just speak the truth. Okay. President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. It's a fact. And Chris Christie, honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance. So he was trying to make talking points off of, I don't know, I guess pledging allegiance to Donald Trump? What do you think, Noah? I thought you were going to finish the end of that clip. I mean, vengeance, it sounds like a pretty good uh, game plan at this point. Mm. It's kind of like retribution? Yeah. That's where we're at. The fallout from this was that... And let's talk about some of the poll numbers. I saw the first 
post-debate poll came out this morning. It's from Ledger 360, and there's been no change whatsoever. Now three days out from the presidential primary debate, Donald Trump sits at 61%, a 52 margin over Ron DeSantis, who's at 9, Ramaswamy, who's at 5, Pence, 5, Scott, 3, Haley, 2, Christie, 1. No change. (laughs) They couldn't even fight over the scraps right. There was also another poll that came out today, head-to-head. Donald Trump, 44%, a 3% advantage over sitting President Joe Biden at 41. In the presidential primary, kind of like the same numbers, 62, 8, 5, 5, 3, 2, 1. It doesn't matter. And then I saw a poll this morning also came out. This will be a pretty damning one. No, you'll enjoy this. 2024 Florida Republican primary. Donald Trump with a 21-point increase from when the poll was last taken in May, 59% which means there's not a lot left for Ron DeSantis, who sits at 23. Ouch. Chris Christie, who was not in the poll last time, now sits at 4%. Vivek Ramaswamy at 3. Haley, 2. Scott, 1. Pence, 1. What is what is the benefit of going through the motions and wasting money when you have zero chance? Well, that's the thing. you know. And as we're getting ready to wrap here and, and, and talking about it, it's like people like Doug Burgum and Vivek Ramaswamy are probably auditioning for jobs in 2025 and and all the rest of them are just trying to remain relevant i did see uh america first firecracker an official spokeswoman for the 45th president in our last audio clip of the week participated in a panel shortly following the debate on newsmax let's hear liz harrington well bianca of course is an important topic but the most pro-life president in history wasn't there last night and as john just said so perfectly, this was a sham. I mean, the fact is, none of those people on stage are ever going to be president. So they're not going to affect change on this policy, but President Trump will when he returns to the White House. So what largely this debate was, was a bunch of noise and talk that might have played better back in 2012, say, when the Uniparty was happily running things before President Trump came along in 2015, 2016, and gave the American people a real choice, a real alternative. And now what are they doing? They're trying to throw him in jail. The reality of what's going on in this country was played out last night, and 200 million people and counting have watched it with President Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson. That's what people care about. They want to vote for President Trump. They wanted to vote in a free and fair election, and they don't want this country being destroyed uh, with the rule of law being thrown out the window, trying to take away that choice from the American people like we'll see. Absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. commentary there. And an honest assessment listening to, you know, the mess that that debate was. We couldn't have got into it a little bit more, but I don't want to punish our listenership, who's extremely loyal. And, and with, uh, you know, the show going in the direction it's going, I figured we'd just graze over. So that's going to be our news portion of the program done for the week. But don't worry, we've got a couple interviews coming in right now. We're going to be sitting down with Ben Geller from the New York Young Republican Club and John O'Shea to wrap up the podcast. But before we hear from them, Let's check out one of our sponsors. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke 
for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a New York legislator, and he's on the advisory board of one of our favorite places as a chairman at the New York Young Republican Club. Mr. Ben Geller joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to host you, sir. How's everything on your end? You've been busy running around all over the place. Saw you at Bedminster a couple times recently, hanging out with the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. Why don't you give our listenership a little bit of an update on the latest going on with you? Yeah, I'm a, like like you mentioned, I'm a legislator here in New York, and uh, I'm definitely one of the more uh, outspoken folks in office here in New York in support of President Trump. And so um, I've been trying to use my audience um, to really rally the troops, so to speak, here in New York. Uh, and that means uh, trying to meet with the president and uh, get around the country and show my support. And uh, we've been to Benbenster a couple of times. Uh, president Gavin Wax and I went down to Palm Beach and did a uh, cross-endorsement with uh, the Palm Beach Young Republican Club for President Trump uh, just to show the, uh, so the young folks in America are standing behind President Trump. Pretty busy. And after things like yesterday where we saw him arraigned for now the fourth time, how important is it to not only be able to provide that support for President Trump, but for the first time ever, there, there's such an outpouring of support from the young demographics throughout the course of this country. And a lot of that has to do with the contributions and work that you guys are doing down there with the club, not only expanding you guys' own membership, but working with other places like you mentioned, the Palm Beach Young Republicans and the D.C. Young Republicans. It's becoming a pretty connected national network for America First. Exactly. You were absolutely correct. You know, Gen Z is now the largest voting block, excuse me, in the entire nation. And so it's really um, honest on us to um, get that message out there and convince Gen Z that the decisions we make today will affect tomorrow. And so if we continue on the path that we're on, our uh, our future is effectively uh, non-existent. And so it's really important for us, like the uh, NYIRC, uh, to get that message out there since we are the biggest and most prestigious uh, public club in the nation. Oh, you guys most certainly are. Now, Ben, when you saw things go down like the absolute dumpster fire, which was the first GOP debate earlier this week, it's kind of been, you know, memory hold for a lot of people because of all the stuff that's gone on over the last 24 hours. What did you see and not see watching some of the pretenders up there on the stage? You know, I think the first thing I saw was, um, obviously, uh, I was, I'll be careful to say it, but I, w- I would say that the first answer by Roger Santos was completely set up by Fox, scripted. I mean, it was it was a perfect answer, and uh, uh, that was definitely practiced multiple times, and then he kind of watched them fizzle out once the uh, pre-scripted answers went away. Uh, we thought with, I thought we would see Ron attack uh, the other candidates, and he chose not to. I don't think he attacked another candidate once. Um, and we saw a lot of um, surprising moments from Vivek, who um, gave some very great answers, but it was Obama-esque in a sense where um, I'm not sure it was genuine, which was very surprising. And then he, he used the exact same lines from uh, Obama being the, uh, the skinny kid with a funny name. And uh, I specifically I remember that moment, and that light bulb went off in my head and said, oh, boy, we don't need this guy anywhere near uh, the White House. So, yeah, we kind of feel the same way here on the show, and uh, you know, it's like a lot of people in America first always like to jump towards the newest shiny thing when it comes out. But I think we've learned after a long enough time, these people that look like they're genuine at first turn out to be everything but in the long run. And I, I think you know the team we've got rolling here is the one we're going to roll with heading into the general election season. We don't need to worry about. It. 
anybody that that participated in, in that debate and, and even the ones that didn't make the stage maybe some people want to come on board and help out at some point down the road but hopefully that's after a long period of vetting and a lot more receipts being provided that's the thing i always try to tell our listenership you can't really hit your wagon to even someone's ideas that tries to run a similar game that donald trump did back in 2015 because we haven't heard from them enough uh, and i think vivek is the only candidate that's trying to do that it's worked to his advantage so far but guess what the methodology that he's using gets thrown out the window if Donald Trump does ever decide to get onto the debate stage or as the primary start and Donald Trump starts winning them across the country. So I think that was a very good point you made. Ben, one of the things I want to touch with you on, I think it's super important. We always try to tell our listenership it's about getting involved in the New York Young Republicans Club. For people that have Young Republicans Club in their areas and in their states across the country and aren't satisfied with it, what should they be doing now to not only help make their clubs more America first and maybe even connecting with you guys at some point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the biggest thing that I touch on in basically every aspect of anything I'm involved in is recruitment and retention. Um, Obviously, it's important to recruit folks, but it's also important to retain them. If you can't retain your people, nobody wants to come. So the biggest thing that we tell um, other clubs or um, for a good example, like uh, when I was in Palm Beach for Turning Points Conference, uh, I had dozens of people approach me like, how do you guys do it? And the biggest answer uh, or the most important answer I gave them is engaging with our membership. So like on this coming Monday, we have Margarita Monday with our members that are 21 and older to uh, meet with young, like-minded people to discuss America first values and and give them a place or a, uh, a home where they could really share ideas with each other. Um, and then recruitment is huge. So social media is the new news. Legacy media is dying. Social media is the new news. And that's how we get our message out is by social media. And we give a lot of advice to these younger or smaller clubs that they need to uh, basically up their social media game if they want to compete with everybody else. And so... Um, and the third, I'd say the third point is you got to incentivize that they want to be there. Um, you have to give them the tools to be uh, engaged and active and go door knock for candidates and uh, bring in people that they look up to and get speakers. Uh, we have guest speakers all the time. Uh, we brought in Carrie Lake or um, anybody you named it. They've probably been here and get guest speaker for us. So um, it's all about engagement. Yeah, you guys just had a two-day event with Laura Loomer. I thought that was great and well-attended. Uh, you know, you mentioned Carrie Lake, and there's always people coming through. Ben, last thing I want to touch on, uh, you guys have the biggest gala in, in New York Young Republican Club, probably Republican Club history, happening this winter. And, uh, you know, you guys have already started to tease an all-star cast of guests who represent America First. And uh, I wanted you to tell our, little, our listenership a little bit about that and the absolute latest uh, happening with the gala. Absolutely. So our uh, gala is December 11th at Cipriani in uh, Wall, Cipriani Wall Street in Manhattan, which is the uh, really the premier gala um, site in the nation. And it's really just beautiful. Um, we're going to have an all-star set of cast, like you said, be there. And um, I actually have a uh, Zoom call with President Trump this afternoon, who may or may not be there as our keynote speaker um, for our gala, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's, we're hoping to, uh, make this the biggest gala in the nation this year, uh, bigger than the Met Gala. And, uh, we pride ourselves on being the best, um, throwing a party. So. Uh, as far as politics and America first goes, you guys have been the gold standard and are looking to take it up to the next level, especially with the, uh, 
I think President Trump's going to be there. You know, we have you and, and Paul and Gavin come on the show so frequently and the way you guys have talked about it. We've heard people on the Trump team talk about it as well. I think he's probably going to wind up being there. So that's awesome to hear. And we'll keep tracking and updating our listenership as we get closer to the event. Ben, it was great sitting down with you today on the show. We're going to live link your website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on every social media channel, um, it's real Ben Geller. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, and so they could find me uh, primarily on Instagram and then secondarily on Twitter at Real Ben Geller. Again, it was great sitting down with you today. This guy's in the trenches out there working legislation over in New York City. He's also the advisory board chairman of the New York Young Republican Club. Mr. Ben Geller, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be well. Thank you. All right. Joining us next on the show today, this massively packed edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast He is a businessman and constitutionalist looking to represent Congress from Texas 12. Joining us for the first time, John O'Shea, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, before we get into any of the issues that I want to talk to you about, uh, I do want to ask you about your run for Congress right now. And uh, you've officially announced, and it's uh, getting to be that time of the year when uh, things are going to start heating up. I just want to know and let you tell our listenership a little bit about yourself, your policy platform, and uh, what you're looking to do heading into the general elections and primary seasons right now. Sure. I appreciate that. Well, I mean, first of all, I honestly never really aspired to hold public office. I, as you mentioned, I'd been in community banking for 20 years. In the last 10 years, I'd been in a small family office where we owned and operated several businesses related to construction and development around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But to say that this country is hanging by a thread right now, I think could possibly be an understatement. And there's a famous quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I kind of draw inspiration from, which is, Silence in the face of evil is in itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak. And so, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of looked at what was going on in the world. I, I, you know, my personal situation, especially when the COVID lockdowns happened, I think there's been kind of two great awakenings for me here over the last several years. One was when President Trump got into office and he exposed this kind of uniparty establishment that we really we're under the boots of this ruling oligarchy, and we kind of traded in our our rightful place as owners of this country. And, and I was amazed that he was able to do everything he said he was going to do, but the resistance was coming from the establishment, including the Paul Ryan wing of the Republican Party. And then the second Great Awakening, I guess, was when we had our summer of love and COVID lockdowns, and I realized that our God-given constitutional rights don't mean squat to our current federal government. You know, the whole purpose of federal government is to protect our rights, both from foreign and domestic threat. And right now, unfortunately, I think our federal government is our greatest threat to our constitutional rights. So knowing that I need to make my maker with a clear conscience and not wanting to leave the country in this state in the direction it's heading, this kind of authoritarian Marxism, which is shocking for me to even think, but it's the direction we're headed, Um, I decided that I needed to be part of the solution and not part of the problem by just being quiet and passive. And so I decided to run for office. I understand that when elected, I will be a freshman congressman, one of 435. But when President Trump is reelected for a third time, he's going to need people who literally will put the best interests of this country in enacting his policy platform ahead of any kind of political aspirations. 
No, you know, that's a great point you make, John, and that's something that I want to touch with you on a little bit more. We have a large delegation of the America First congressmen and women who President Trump endorsed over the last couple cycles come through the show on a regular basis. Uh, you know, there are always votes for America First up there on Capitol Hill. They sit on a lot of the more premier committees and have been doing some of the great oversight and investigative work in, in this session of Congress. But at the end of the day, they're all realists. I mean, you got people that are a lot of operators and, and people that come from, like you, outside of the political spectrum and, and just felt compelled to get in this to to stop what you've seen happen around you and your family for the last several years. And here's the thing. One of the biggest complaints that they always have on the show, I'm sure Noah would agree with me on this, is that Congress is a numbers game. And as you pointed out, one of one... One of 435, you know, it's it's right now in America first, we don't have the numbers to push the things that Kevin McCarthy needs to do to better represent the people who put them all in office. They'd much rather, you know, go with the middle of the road votes, uh, the partisan votes in some instances and, and not make waves rather than, you know, turning the system upside down, which would be setting it right side up because the way Washington's being ran right now, it is upside down. So I, I think it's great that you were able to point that out. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to know what, what some of the biggest uh, things in, in your platform that you're talking to your constituents about right now that you're using as part of your campaign. So I, it's a traditional America first platform. I mean, I, I, you know, the fact that that was even considered something that's racist or xenophobic, I mean, <laughs> kind of took me by surprise. I mean, why wouldn't you want the best for your brothers and sisters and, and to see this country succeed and, and regain its prominence? But, you know, the, the issues, especially here in Texas right now, obviously the border, if you have a, a country without borders is, is not a country. And we're being overrun by not only just the illegal aliens who do bring increased crime, uh, burden the working class people by competing with them for wages, but then the fentanyl deaths. And I know we say, you know, during COVID, well, you know, not one death. Well, okay, we're losing twice as many people as we lost in all of Vietnam every year due to COVID. Uh, fentanyl poisoning and then the travesty of trafficking and i mean the idea i've got a constable friend who told me that there are over 400 kids every night being trafficked in dallas fort worth and that's just that's egregious i can't believe that that's something that we allow to stand in this country the other things i think um that are, are critically important to me is again restoring our constitution because it has been eviscerated and the First and Second Amendment rights in particular. In fact, the only rights that haven't been trampled on are freedom of the press, and that's because they've willingly co-opted themselves to the DNC. And then the other one, well, the other two, again, one shocking that I have to even say is the restoration of parental rights. Right. And God gave these children to the mother and father, not to the government or a school or a teacher's union. And then lastly, you know, a return to kind of sound common sense economic principles. I mean, the inflation, the energy crisis, this is all self-inflicted. Nobody uh, that I know of went off to go vote on, hey, let's completely restructure our society around some kind of com uh, concept that Mother Gaia is in peril. And as a result of that, we need to rapidly convert to wind and solar and batteries all dependent upon China, who clearly is, doesn't have our best interests at heart. So, you know, unleashing our economic dominance again that we had under President Trump in 2020 and trying to wrangle inflation and control by by reducing this kind of drunken wanton spending that the government is with this one and a half to two trillion in deficit every year. 
Well, I tell you what, we're, we're definitely looking forward to, to tracking your fight. And when you talk about the rubber stamp Rhino K. Granger that's currently representing the district, I think it's going to be a very vigorous primary season. You're going to actually, you know, force them to do a little bit of work. And, and in the end, we love the policies that you're pushing. So we, we'll be looking to track and, and continue to uh, follow you and have you on the program to, you know, discuss your campaign along the way. John, last thing I want to touch with you on, I do want to get, you know, kind of one of the big topics we're talking about on the podcast today, get a little commentary on you before we break here. And uh, it's the stuff that's currently going on with President Trump. You know, we've had a, a lot of pretty big name figures in the show today. We have, you know, America First Attorney Ron Coleman joined us. Congressman George Santos, who represents New York's 3rd Congressional District, was in here as well. Uh, we started off the show today talking to President Trump's, one of his lawyers on the legal team there, Jesse Benal. And it seems like all of these guys... You'd never see them in the same place. They all come from different walks of life. They all come from different avenues and, and took different paths to get to where they're at now. But they're all saying the same thing. People that have done law for years, a young uh, rising congressman like George Santos, someone who's been in the game for a little while but isn't as much as a veteran as, let's say, someone like a Harmeet Dillon or somebody like that, like Jesse Banal. But they're all talking about how you know, the multiple tiers of, of justice system in this country, the way it's changed so fast over the years. And, and, and even though they're all, you know, got a lot of skin in this game, both literally and metaphorically, they, they, they are in this fight for all the right reasons, much likely you think you are. So when you see the stuff that's kind of gone down and as President Trump was processed for the fourth time uh, and has nearly a, a hundred charges hanging over his head, which can equal a thousand years in prison for someone who was literally sitting in the Oval Office less than three years ago and received 74 million votes back in 2020. What is some of the things that you're talking to, you know, maybe your family or constituents about this and how do you feel about it all? Well, I, you know, there are some other fine people who are in the Republican primary, but let's that's, that's be real. The presumptive nominee is Donald Trump. I mean, he, he is dominating in the polls. People saw what his policies led us to in 2019. I mean, simple question for you. Would you be rather living right now with the conditions that we're currently in, or would you rather be back in 2019? And I don't think any sane person that isn't struggling with Trump derangement syndrome, which apparently is a real thing would tell you clearly that they'd like a return to those policies. But, you know, you, you touch upon the, the multi-tiered system of, of justice in this country right now. I lived abroad in South America for a period of time. In fact, in the true original Banana Republic, Ecuador, and I have friends from there contact me all the time, just shocked at what's going on in our country. You know, these, these fictitious crimes that are cobbled together, you know, for example, one that nobody ever mentions about, uh, because it's not a criminal indictment, but was the lawsuit that Letitia James brought against the Trump organization. I happen to have had 20 years in banking. There is absolutely, it's a victimless crime that is not a crime. She claimed that he artificially inflated values of real estate on his financial statements. Well, anybody with a shred of knowledge of banking knows that if a bank is going to be reliant upon any kind of real estate for collateral, they're required to go get a third-party independent appraisal. They don't just take somebody's word for what something is worth. That's by law. But that didn't stop her from running on a platform that she was going to go after President Trump. So when these people weaponize their offices, and it's not just them. The Department of Justice is currently the greatest threat to justice in this country right now. Yeah. I have zero confidence and trust in the FBI, which kind of breaks my heart to say that at this point in time. But, you know, the Department of Education is about anything other than educating our children. And you take a look at what they do. The Department of Homeland Security. In what way is speeding up processing of illegal aliens throughout this country, you know, 
along with all the other accompanying things, have anything to do with security. So it 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 is just another indication of the abomination that this regime is uh, handling itself and how it's really put everything on its head. They understand that President Trump right now, for the vast majority of people who live outside the Acela corridor, are is their clear choice to be the nominee. Democrats consistently talk about election interference. They say, well, you know, you're not putting the polling places in the right place. You're not, you know, giving enough mail-in ballot time. You're not giving enough early, you know, vote. You're requiring signature verification. And some of these people don't have IDs, which frankly is kind of a racist statement in my mind. Mm -hmm. But they then when they actually use lawfare with one civil suit and four criminal, you know, rounds of indictments, and, and clearly I doubt they're going to stop because one thing the left clearly doesn't know is when to stop. They don't know how to read the room. And so they're actually playing into his favor, but they know they can't beat him at the ballot box. They know that the overwhelming ground support this time is going to be so big that even even they won't be able to manufacture enough fictitious ballots because I do believe this will be President Trump's third victory. And so they're trying to take him out legally, but it's not going to work. Uh, we feel the exact same way there. John, it has been great sitting down with you and chatting a little bit about your, your bid for the 12th district in Texas, and we look forward to having you back. We're going to live link your campaign website in the show description today, and for anyone that's not following you on social media, let's get you a couple more of those. What's your uh, X handle? Yeah, uh, you can find all my social media presence on the website, which is O'ShaForTexas.com, and I appreciate it. You know, one of the one of the problems that led us to where we are is that we currently have a ruling class of professional politicians, which is something our, our founding fathers didn't envision. And Kay is a 14-term incumbent seeking three full decades in office. She's been in since the Clinton administration, and it's time for her to enjoy retirement and spend time with her kids and grandkids. I like the way that sounds. This is the candidate that's looking to represent Texas's 12th district. Mr. John O'Shea, have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Kind of somber, but I think strong way to end the week. What do you think, Noah? Somber like a sombrero. Mm. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 270 other editions of the show, you better be subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure, make sure you're hitting the subscription button in addition to that check us out on social media twitter getter instagram truth social find the steak for breakfast accounts follow us and hit the notification bell we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today constitutional attorneys jesse banal and ron coleman congressman representing new york three george santos the new york young republicans club and new york state legislator ben geller and texas congressional candidate john o'shea they definitely helped make steak great again Guys, I know we're at the end of the week, but don't worry. We'll be back. Reminder, next week's Tuesday edition of the show will air on Wednesday, where we're set to host Congressman Mike Collins, Laura Loomer, Boris Epstein, and Attorney John Pierce. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. Counts, 13 counts, you getting paid to pounce and die for 13 counts. I know somebody paying thought to charge whoever he says. Another DA in the pop, I handle all of his biz. You will see her at the courthouse, call a fatty Willis. 
charge another rapper because you know she had to get us. She even charged her president if you could pay the money. Election interference done, deal for the money. She walk around looking like Chapo with the money. She got a new week, got light pole with the money, money. If you ain't no punk, holla, we want D-Trump. We want D-Trump, yeah. There's something that you need to have because when we get revenge, we gonna kick some ass. 13 counts, 13 counts. Got paid for every count, straight into bank accounts. Now I ain't saying she a vote rigger, but fatty only make my lead bigger. Now I ain't saying she a vote rigger, but fatty only make my lead bigger. Get down, girl, go ahead, get down. Get down, girl, go ahead, get down. Get down, girl, go ahead, get down. Get down, girl, go ahead.